Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Colossians chapter 1. We begin our study through Colossians chapter 1. Now, if you're listening for the first time or you haven't been listening for a while, make sure, purpose in your heart that you listen through our studies. Uh, start in 1 Corinthians and then get caught up to where we're at in Colossians because you'll understand much more about maturing in Christ and growing in Christ. Now, you know, we see 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then Galatians, which, you know, can be a quasi 3rd Corinthians, and then Ephesians as a quasi 4th Corinthians. And then just as we wrap up our study through Philippians, like a 5th Corinthians, the same thing applies here to the book of Colossians, 6th Corinthians. Now, I'm, I'm just giving for example in terms of growing and advancing in Christ the same way we have first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, and on to perfection. Except this 6 Corinthians. Do you remember if you if you listen to our study from last week and you know like the uh the table of Christians, you're at a table, you're female, you're at a table of other females. You're male, you're at a table of other males. Men's fellowship and women's fellowship. Now, you make the distinction the the, the determination, uh, you know, what what somebody's grade level is at. Maybe they're first graders, maybe they're second graders, maybe they're preschoolers, maybe they're third graders. Now, with maturing in Christ, now, what happens with knowledge? Knowledge definitely has the ability to puff up, to uh, uh, instill this uh, uh, arrogance in individuals. Now, we see that in the natural world. I mean, have you ever talked to somebody who has like a, a, a master's degree or a doctorate? Now, not just in theology, but in any, any uh, 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 whatever they go to school for. Now, you see that. You see that in the uh, economists. You see that in the English majors. You see that in the history majors. They kind of have this arrogance about them. Like, well, you know, oh, I have a master's. Therefore, I know this. I'm a doctor in English, therefore I know this. You see that arrogance in the flesh. But the same thing happens to Christians. You see that inside the church. You see an arrogance inside the church. You know, uh, uh, certain individuals who have a knowledge base of the Bible, or in some cases, a presumed knowledge base of the Bible, you see that. Now, when I say presumed knowledge base, sometimes they think they know a lot of, about the Bible, but understand that the word of God is spiritually discerned. There is so, so the Bible is so incredibly basic. And I don't mean that to disrespect to the Lord and say, oh, it's just basic, but it's basic, meaning that the Lord can speak to anybody you don't need to have the, you know, the uh, uh, theology degree to understand what scripture says because the Bible is spiritually discerned. That's what we studied in 1 Corinthians. There is spiritual discernment, which the Holy Spirit teaches and helps us to understand. The problem comes with carnality. You remember how we said that, you know, the, 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 the uh, 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 worldly example in higher academia today where you see the arrogance? Now, that's the flesh. That is the flesh. You could see a, a doctorate in English, a master's degree in history, whatever it is, and you see the arrogance. 
And when you see it in the church, it is carnal. I don't care if somebody has, you know, a, a, a doctorate in theology. Now, I tell you from experience, when I see people, when I confront people or people confront me and, you know, and I not I should, maybe confront is a, a bad word to use. It usually turns into a confrontation. But whenever I have an encounter with somebody who has a degree in theology going in right off the bat, I have this idea in my head that I'm most likely speaking to a carnal individual. Most likely, because you see the arrogance. The arrogance is there. That's kind of like a gimme, according to the flesh. And I see that a lot among the uh, 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 the so-called learned class. And I don't say this to, 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 to make it seem like I'm on a high horse. My boast is in Christ. But I say this to my younger brothers and my younger sisters because there's this idea in the minds of Christians that, oh, this person has understanding, so therefore I'm going to follow him. Oh, this person went to theology school and seminary and has a master's degree in, uh, 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 in divinity and theology and all these, you know, biblical studies here. And wow, this guy knows what he's talking about. He knows his stuff. But in my experience, that among those individuals is where is commonly found a higher degree of crazy town, straight up crazy town. And I say this to my younger brothers, my younger sisters in Christ to help you that this idea of, well, you know, this is the learned class. This is the elite class. So therefore I have to do what they say because, you know, they, they, they went to school. They have this understanding, but Look at the look at the religious leaders in the days of Christ when he when he walked in, in his earthly ministry. You figure, wow, they, they know the look these religious leaders, they know I'm gonna follow them, they know I'm gonna follow and do what they say and do. And Jesus Christ says, Don't follow their example. He says they're whitewashed tombs. Now you look from an academic standpoint, you're like, wow, these are the religious leaders, they really know their stuff. But the question is, were they applying what they what was what they knew right? And number two, were they applying what they knew? You see, and Jesus Christ says they're whitewashed tombs. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And so we have this idea among the learned class. I'm doing my air quotes among the learned class like, well, I got to do what they say because they know their stuff. And in my experience, they're straight up crazy. A higher concentration of Wolves are among the learned class. That's just in my experience. And it's going to get worse in the last days where shepherds turn into wolves. Yes, shepherds can turn into wolves. Listen to our studies from Acts 20 and you'll understand. Yes, shepherds can turn into wolves. And it's going to happen at a a, a great pace in the last days. And it's already happening. Where the learned class pastor says, oh yes, Christians, go ahead, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. That's poison. That's poison. If you follow that, that will kill you. Eternal separation from the Lord. That's from the so-called learned class. The learned class, the so-called learned class that says, okay, Christians, let's go lay on grave sites 
so we can soak up the Holy Spirit that was in this dead person that died. Necromancy, an abomination before the Lord. And the so-called learned class is, is, is leading God's people into an abomination? Wrong. No, the formula must be right. Remember Paul, when he's talking to the Corinthian saints, he's in, 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 in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I say 11, it might be 12. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says in, uh, in, in verse 2, he's, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. He says, for I am, this is a church that is moving on to perfection, but after a great separation from the leaven. Now you have this remnant that is now moving onward. You know, they should have been in, you know, a, a, a higher level of understanding, but they weren't. And so there was corrective action that took place. You know, the separation from the leaven. And then Paul says in verse 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You see? Simplicity that is in... There is immense simplicity when we study the Word of God. I mean, have you ever studied the Bible and you're like, well, I don't get it. I don't get it. And then you you listen to a pastor and it's like, wow, you know, wow. Just boil it down. Now I get it. Now I understand. And praise be to the Lord because we understand that what happens is that, you know, the, the, the Lord has designated. These are teachers. These are pastors. The Lord has his servants. But understand that Satan has his servants too to muddy the waters. We look at verse 4. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. You see? And that's the danger. And we look at verse 14, same chapter. We look at verse 14. He says, well, in verse 13, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, exclamation point, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. You see? False apostles. Transforming, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. So they speak Christianese. They, they play the part. Hypocrites. Actors, hypocrites, where we get the word hypocrites. Hypocrites. They play the part. They look like apostles of Christ. But they're not. Look at verse 15. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers... Now, these are uh, satanic ministers. Because, you know, verse 14, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing that his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. You see, there's a threat. Always a threat. We must understand the word of God to be Bereans in these last days. Because it is straight up crazy town. 
And, you know, like we studied last week in Philippians, you know, you're at the table of females, you're at the table of males, men's fellowship, ladies' fellowship. And, you know, you're at the table and you make this distinction, okay, well, you know, this is first grade, this is second grade, this is third grade. And you have to be honest with yourself because you might be first grade, you might be preschool, which isn't a bad thing at all. It is beautiful, but we have to grow. We have to mature. If that is you, if you're preschool, then beautiful. Then we move on. Kindergarten. Then we move on again. First grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. And we move on to perfection, laying aside those things which so easily ensnare us. That's what we do. Now, if you're university level, like we looked at in, you know, last week in Philippians, if you're university level, understand that according to the flesh, that knowledge can have the ability to puff up where it's like, oh, you know, oh, I'm smart. I have the knowledge. I know the Bible like the back of my hand. Now, understand, it's very important when we look at Colossians. Yes, it's almost in that same context of university study, except it's more like uh, uh, post-grad, postgraduate studies. I remember, you know, I, I listened to an interview of Michael Jordan. Now, Michael Jordan is a famous basketball player. When I was growing up, I loved him. I still admire his abilities to this day. One of the greatest basketball players that ever lived, if not the greatest. Now, I listened to an interview. He won the championship, NBA championship. Now, the NBA nowadays is totally different than it used to be, old school NBA. But I listened when he won the championship. And, you know, this guy could walk on air. He would jump and it looked like he was climb, like he was like on a ladder, like just taking steps and steps and steps. And he was just like he could fly. This guy was phenomenal. The best basketball player. If not, you know, one of the best, if not the best, Michael Jordan. Now he's in an interview and the interviewer asks him, you know, what's the more, most important aspect of your game? Now, I was expecting him to say like something crazy, like, you know, something like, you know, well, you know, using a vernacular that I don't even understand because he's so great. You know what he said? He said the fundamentals. And it blew me away. Here you have the best. People have their opinions, but my opinion, the best basketball player. And he says the most important aspect of his game is the fundamentals. This guy could walk on air. This guy looked like he was, you know, people would be, you know, he would just grace across the basketball court. It was almost like a dance. Everybody, there would be like, you know, sudden movements here, sudden movements there. But then when you watch him, he's like, just like dancing across the court. And then he would jump, he would pass, he would facilitate, he would do all these things. And this guy says the most important aspect of his game is the fundamentals. What you learn, you know, that's like basketball 101. That's like, you know, you're, you know, five years old and you take, you know, your first, you you, you join a basketball team. What you learn at age five, what you learn at age six, whatever age, is the fundamentals of basketball. Dribble. Pass, you know, how to, you know, walk the court and dribble, dribble with your right hand, dribble with your left hand. These the fundamentals, passing, 
you know, positions on the court, jump shot, the, the very, very basics, the fundamentals of basketball. And the greatest player says that's the most important aspect of his game. It blew me away. But I'm reminded of that as we look at the book of Colossians. Now, I, I can't stress this enough. If you're, if you haven't been listening for, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know, praise be to the Lord. Let us move on to perfection. But if this is the first time you're listening or you, you know, you start, you joined us, you know, last week or a couple months ago and you haven't listened to our study through 1 Corinthians, it's very, I can't stress the importance because it will help you have this understanding of, you know, preschool, kindergarten, first grade, second, third, fourth, and we move on to perfection. But, Much like Michael Jordan says, the most important aspect of his game is the fundamentals. Much like that is Colossians or a quasi six Corinthians. Because we get down to the basics and the preeminence of Jesus Christ. You see, you could be university level. And when you're you're university level, and, you know, in terms of knowledge of the Word of God, remember, knowledge is a gift of the Spirit, and it is not the greatest gift. You know, you listen to our study through First Corinthians, and you'll understand. You see? Now, we have this, if you're university level, understand, you know, just like our study through Romans, walking according to the flesh comes with problems. Walking according to the Spirit is, that's what we do. And where we don't do that, we repent, and then we walk according to the to the Spirit. You know, if you make decisions according to the flesh, repent. You know, repentance is beautiful because it keeps our hearts nice and soft before the Lord. No hard hearts. And so we have this understanding of, you know, walking according to the Spirit. And, you know, we're going to make mistakes. You, you're going to make a decision that is carnal. And, you know, we repent when that happens. And then we learn to walk according to the Spirit as we move on to perfection. And just like Jesus Christ says, go and sin no more. You're never going to be sinless. But as we grow, as we mature, we can sin less and less and less and less. When you are sinless, you'll be dead. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And it's, it's beautiful when we have this understanding. Of yes, once you get to the point of university level, which is like, that's like, that's ministry material. That's like pastor material, elder material. That's, you know, ministry leaders and deacons, or females can be deacons. Females who can be in ministry leaders in certain capacities, but understand that pastors and elders, pastors and elders, pastors and elders, always, 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 always male always male coverings old testament and new testament coverings always male look at the covering of our father unto christ look at the covering of christ unto the church look at the covering of husband unto wife you see dad unto kids coverings you know pastors unto church elders unto 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 church unto saints you see all coverings in the Bible, always male. It's very important to understand because in these last days, you know what we're starting to see? And I shouldn't say we're starting, but it's, it's, it started a while ago, but it's growing is female pastors, female elders, 
Now, if that's you, if you're female and you're a pastor, you're an elder, repent to step down. Change your doctrine too, because your doctrine is crazy town. And then, you know, if you're going to a church where a pastor is female, elders are female, jump ship. It's the wrong formula. And so, you know, once you're at university level, and I don't say this in a prideful sense, but once you're at university level, not in a carnal manner, where it's like, oh, I have achieved, look how smart I am. No, you're at university level, but yet you're humble to where you can talk with the preschooler, to where you can be friends with the preschooler. You can be friends with the kindergarten, the first grader, the third, other university level. You can be, remember the, the rugby in our study in Romans? Remember the rugby? It's like that, not to be puffed up. Your university level, praise be to the Lord. Now, at the same time, to have this understanding that walking go to the flesh, you know, you, oh, look, I have a doctorate in theology. Oh, look, I went to seminary. No, that's, 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 that's pride and arrogance. But once you get to university level, which is, that's ministry material. That's like how a person transfers from field to worker. Remember our study through 1 Corinthians 3? Field, making the distinction, you know, you are the field, you are the worker. You are the, this is the worker, this is the field. We make these distinctions. The field of the building, that's the church. Those are saints. The workers, that's like Paul, Priscilla, Aquila, Peter, Timothy, little Timmy, Titus. You see? These are workers. But the field, the building, that's the church. That's the, those are saints. That's like pew and pulpit, making the distinction. And we have this understanding. It's not to get on a high horse and be like, look how much I know about the Bible. It's to get on, get off the horse. Get off the horse. You're talking to preschooler? Praise be to the Lord. Help the preschooler go from preschooler, preschool to kindergarten. You're talking to kindergarten? Praise be to the Lord. Help the kindergarten go from kindergarten to first grade. The next to second grade. The third grade. The fourth grade. And on to perfection. That's university level. Humble before the Lord. Back to the basics. The fundamentals. Just like Michael Jordan. You know, the greatest player of all time. Straight up walk on air. And the greatest aspect, the most important part of his game is fundamentals. The dribble. The jump shot. The basics. Same for us. University level? Oh, I'm going to move on to perfection. I'm going to go, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to know more. And look, I know the Bible like the back of my hand. I know this. I went to seminary, divinity school, and this school of theology. I have an honorary doctorate here and an honorary here because I have all these doctorates and I don't have time for this. So this school, this, you know, uh, higher academia gave me an honorary doctorate here, honorary over here. I'm, look at my wall. Look how awesome I got all these plaques. Oh, by the way, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You see? Crazy town. And it's going to get worse in the last days. Oh, look how smart I am. Oh, let's go grave soaking. Let's go lay on the grave sites. Oh, look. Let's put this glitter in the rafters and make it fall down and call that the Holy Spirit. Oh, look how knowledgeable. Look how much knowledge I have. Oh, look. God is done with Israel. 
He's all done with Israel and now his promises go to the church and he's all done. Sorry, Jews, he's all done. Crazy town. False doctrine replacement theology. Oh, but look, we have this, this coalition. We form this coalition and we have these, these books for kids. We have these books for, you know, young people and adults and look at all these publications we have. Garbage. Garbage, straight up. And so we see Colossians here. It's a, 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 a suburb of Laodicea. We we read a, a, a revelation and you see warning for Laodicea. This book, the book of Colossians, written around 62 AD, same as Philippians, same as Ephesians, same as Philemon. And th these are prison letters of Paul. Paul's in prison. He's about ready to die. Get his head chopped off. He's about ready to die. He's in prison for the gospel. And so powerful when we understand this history of the church. In Acts chapter 13, verse 13, if you've been walking with us for a while, you understand, you remember our study, but Paul is in theater. He's in the region. Paul is in theater and the fire is started in the region. This is a good fire, a holy fire. This is around 14 years prior in 48 AD. So you have all this time from 48 AD to 62 AD when Paul writes this letter to the Colossian saints. It's beautiful. Fundamentals. The basics. Just like Michael Jordan, he could walk on air and he says the dribble is important. Fundamental to his game. The most important aspect of his game. The guy could walk on air and he says the dribble. What a five-year-old learns. You see, it's the same for us. University level, you know the Bible like the back of your hand. You're a Berean of Bereans. And you know the Bible like the back of your hand. Not to get on a high horse, which is the flesh. But to walk according to the Spirit. Make decisions according to the Spirit. And not just the outward appearance. To have that in your mind. Humility before the Lord. Yes, you might know the Bible like the back of your hands. But the fundamentals are important. Jesus Christ. The simplicity of everything. Walking in Christ. Abiding in Christ. Yes, knowledge is a gift. It's not the greatest gift. There's the risk of pride and arrogance. You see? And remember, our identity is in Christ. It's not in academia. It's not in knowledge. It's not in any of the gifts. Our identity is in Christ. Now, the Spirit will give gifts, but our identity is in the giver, which is Christ. You see, and a study of uh, a, a, a study of Old Testament and New Testament helps because you know we see what the Lord does with the prideful and arrogant. We see what the Lord does with what He did with prideful Lucifer. You see, we see what the Lord did with prideful Korah. Remember our study through Numbers. If you've been walking with us for a while, we see what the Lord does with prideful Eli. 
We see what he does. I don't know about you, but that's straight up freaky. That's scary. That's scary. That, you know, to see how the Lord responds to pride and arrogance, Nebuchadnezzar, it's hardcore. It's scary. But remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's beautiful to have the fear of the Lord. Once you know how the Lord responds to righteousness and how the Lord responds to wickedness, it will help you in your walk with him. Because, okay, I'm not going to play games. Lord, you don't like this, so, okay, you know, I'm going to hit the brakes. You see, like, you know, people say, I love the Lord, I love the Lord. Okay, I, I equate that to like a gas pedal in a car. Oh, I love the Lord, I love the Lord. Okay, you have a gas pedal. But who in the world drives a vehicle without brakes? Nobody. Oh, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. Look, I'm going to hit the gas pedal. Oh, look, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. And since God is love, then I'm going to condone these things. Oh, look, love is love. I'm going to condone this. I'm going to condone that. And everything is fine and dandy. Oh, look, I'm going to approve of this. I'm going to approve of that. Oh, look, it's no big. Oh, look, uh, you know, I know that the Bible says that X, Y, Z is bad, but that was for another dispensation. So go ahead and do this. No, 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 no. Hit the brakes. Hit the brakes. That's not good. You see? What car? A car that has a gas pedal, but doesn't have a brake pedal? That's a death trap. The same applies to you and me. Oh, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. Which is beautiful. But that's not all of it. We fear the Lord as well. You see, we understand, you know, what the Lord does with the prideful and arrogant. And that fear will help you once you, not just in university level, but once you're like preschool, I mean, if you're preschool, you're, you know, a, a kindergarten, first grade, second grade, as you grow and mature, you're going to grow in knowledge and you're going to have this understanding, which is a gift of the spirit. But then understand as you grow and mature that what the Lord does with pride and arrogance. And that fear of him will help you. It's like a brick. You know, your university level. And do you not know that if you have knowledge and you speak to a brother or sister who is preschool, do you know that it is dangerous to speak in a carnal manner to a young brother, a young sister, based on their conscience. Remember our study in Romans? How when you sin against a brother or sister's conscience before the Lord, it's their heart before the Lord. And when you sear their conscience because of your knowledge, and the Bible says you sin against Jesus. You see? That scares me. That scares me. And so many people, they presume to have knowledge. Oh, I have this knowledge. Oh, go ahead and do this. Look, it's a... But when you go against the conscience of another brother or sister in Christ, you sin against the Lord. Now, doctrine is key as well. Because a person could say, well, you know, in my conscience, you know, I'm going to do my crack. 
In my conscience, I'm going to do my crack. Well, you know, that person's a baby for a reason. Oh, in my conscience, I'm going to go see the strippers. In my conscience, I'm going to go, you know, worship Buddha. No, it doesn't work that way. The formula's got to be right in the baby. The formula's got to be right in the preschooler. Now, the one with knowledge humbles himself, humbles herself to help said preschooler. You see? To help said preschooler. Now, when you come across a situation where the preschooler, the baby, likes to stay the baby and has been a baby for two years, three years, four years, five years, that's when you're getting into leaven territory. That's when you're getting into, okay, brother, I love you. Okay, sister, I love you, but I love the Lord more. And he doesn't stand for this. So I'm sorry, we're going to fellowship without you. You see? I love you. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. But because of your refusal to grow and mature, and not like for a week. This is like, you know, for years. Okay? Now, it's it's not like I'm making this decision. It's you're forcing it. You made the decision. I'm just responding. This is for pastors and elders. Somebody wants to be a baby and stays a baby for one year, two year, three year, four year, five year, six year, and correction has happened and there's nothing, you know, there's still a baby. Yes, I mean, you make a decision to obey the Lord, pastor. You make a decision to honor the Lord and obey the Lord, elder. Once you see that in a, in a, in, in a, a, a person inside the church, not outside the church, inside, the, you see it outside the church everywhere. Paul says, you know, he just said, I didn't mean outside the world or outside, inside the church. He said, outside the church, you'd have to get on a rocket ship and live on Mars. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist. And listen to our study through 1 Corinthians 3. But pastors and elders have a responsibility. Once leaven is identified, then leaven has to be dealt with. Now leaven will be mad at you. Leaven will hate you. Leaven will call you crazy. But that's leaven. That's leaven. You see? And there's always hope for leaven because, you know, it's like the leper in the Old Testament. The leper can come back in the camp. There's always hope for the leper. There's always hope for the leaven. But the leaven still has to be dealt with nonetheless. Why? Because we keep the Lord's house clean. If you're a pastor, if you're elder, male, keep the Lord's house clean. And when the Lord's house is clean, look at how safe it is for the saints inside where there's still waters and green pastures. Look at how safe it is for them to exercise and train and learn to fight and be equipped. Look how safe it is for them to bear one another's burdens because the leaven is gone. Now, when the leaven remains and, you know, oh, I'm going to bear this, my brother's burden. So, you know, he's going to do crack and, you know, go to jail and do all these things. And, you know, we've been here, you know, two years, three years, five years, 10 years. And look, I'm going to bear his burdens. And yeah, go ahead. And there's accommodation made. It's dangerous. That's a church that has no still waters. No green pastures. Oh, I'm going to bear my brother's burdens. And, 
you know, his wife is mad at him because he goes to the strippers and, you know, she kicked him out of the house for a little bit. And, okay, so he goes to the strippers. He does his pornography. He does his uh, uh, prostitutes and he goes gambling and he does the Buddha and does all these things. And his wife is mad at him. So, okay, you know, go ahead and shack up with me, brother. I'm going to bear your burdens. No, it doesn't work that way. And, you know, we did this last year. We're going to do it again this year. We did it last year too. We did it three years ago. We're going to do it again this year. No change. It's unsafe for God's, the flock of God, for God's people. It's unsafe for them to practice and exercise these gifts of the Spirit with leaven. It is unsafe for them, pastor. It is unsafe for them, elder. Do not be a facilitator, pastor. Do not be a facilitator, elder of wickedness. You see, we're going to get into the pastoral epistles. And we make these distinctions of, you know, preschool, first grade, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. And then all of a sudden we get to the pastoral epistles, which is like, it's hardcore. It's hardcore. That's why Brother James says, let not many be teachers. Because he knows it's hardcore. You see? And there's a heavy price to pay for the unfaithful pastor. A heavy price to pay for the unfaithful elder. The unfaithful teacher. A very, very heavy price to pay. Remember when Jesus Christ, he gives, you know, when people say, Oh, you know, Lord, we did all these things in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did all these things. Probably ministry leaders. Probably ministry leaders in the world. We cast out, we did all these things in your name. And what does Jesus say? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. You practicer of iniquity. I never knew you. Depart from me. Straight up. Let's be, let's be straight up. The word of God speaks loud and clear. Yes, we love the Lord. But don't forget the brake pedal. We also fear the Lord. You see? Now, that, that's why I stress, if you're listening for the first, I mean, like if you're, if you're like a baby Christian and you're listening, you're like, whoa, this is too much. This is, hardcore. this is hardcore. Absolutely, it's hardcore. But these are like university studies, post-grad. And yes, still listen. I mean, you, you know, come one, come all. Still listen. But understand. And let's be straight up. If you're preschool, just admit it. I'm preschool. There's no shame in saying I'm preschool. There's no shame in saying I'm first grade. I'm second grade. There's no shame. The shame is when you think you're third grade, but you're really preschool. When you think you're fifth grade university, but you're really preschool. That's where the shame is. That's when we get into first Corinthians three, first Corinthians five. When, you know, First Corinthians 3, they're milk drinkers. And First Corinthians 5, when Paul says, look, you guys, your rejoicing isn't good. You come to church, you say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. He says, that's not a good thing, you guys. Why? Because of the leaven. There is leaven inside of you. You see? And this is the book of Colossians. Back to basics. Back to basics in terms of remembering Christ who he is, who we are in him, the preeminence of Christ. That's Colossians post-grad studies. In case there's any 
university students who are a little top-heavy in the head. It's beautiful to be university level. Very beautiful. That's like ministry material. But humility. Being humble before the Lord. Being humble with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Having university level understanding of scripture, which is, you know, a gift of the spirit. And when I say these terms of academia, I don't mean academia according to the flesh. Some of the smartest people I know, the smartest, smartest people I know are high school dropouts. Haven't stepped foot in university. I mean, the opposite is true. Some of the dumbest people I know have their degrees. (laughs) No offense if you have your degree. But I mean, that's just, in my experience, some of the dumbest people I know have their degrees. It's like, you know, uh, it's social brainwashing what's happening in universities today in these last days. But some of the dumbest people I know have their degrees. You say, well, I'm offended at that. Well, it's a sign of the last days. Many will be offended. It's a sign of the last days. Listen to our study through Matthew 24. It's in Matthew. Read Matthew 24. It's one of the signs of the last days. Many will be offended. You see? We have signs all around us. And so we continue our study here. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother, little Timmy. You see? You see? It's so beautiful when you see, like, you know, remember, they're attached at the hip. Remember, Timothy was raised and, you know, in, his, in in Paul's bubble, you know, his dad was there. They were spreading the gospel, you know, Timothy's dad. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, Eunice and Lois, they're raising Timothy. And it's prophesied on little Timmy that he's going to uh, 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 be a minister, that he's going to, you know, that is prophesied that he's going to serve the Lord as he grows and he matures. Now, his parents raise him and then all of a sudden they kind of max out and they say, hey, Paul. Can you take our son under your wing? And boom, you see Timothy grow circumcised him. Paul circumcised him. Because Paul, you know, it was customary for Paul to go into synagogue. And if Timothy, he was half-blood, you know, Jewish mom, Gentile dad, he would not be permitted in the synagogue. And Paul knew, listen, Timothy, you know, it is prophesied you're going to be a pastor one day. And so you're a little kid right now. And so we got to circumcise you because we're going to circumcise so that you can be permitted in the synagogue and you're going to watch me get down. You're going to watch me throw down like it's nobody's business. Proving that Jesus is the Messiah to the religious leaders, to the Judaizers. And you're going to see me fight. You're going to see me get down and dirty. And I want you to see it, little Timmy. Why? Because I'm going to be old one day. I might get killed. And it's going to be your turn. You're next. And I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you how to fight, little Timmy. You see? So you have to come with me to synagogue. And according to law, according to the law, which, you know, we're in Christ, but according to the law, you're not going to be able to enter. So let's get you circumcised. Okay? Circumcision happens. Little Timmy. Can you imagine... 
like adult Paul, an old guy. You know, people, oh, is this your son? Is this your son? You know, maybe he's saying in Christ, yes. <laughs> and little Timmy, little, can you imagine little Timmy sitting down looking at Paul and just like, whoa. Not to deify Paul. Remember, Paul's dead. He said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And little Timmy seeing this guy fight according to the Spirit. Engage all these thoughts and ideas according to the law. And, you know, not just according, if it was really according to the law, they would have eyes and ears to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. If it was really according to the law. But it was according to an interpretation of the law, which was carnal. But then at the same time, for Paul to put the pieces together in the synagogue to the religious leaders, to those in synagogue, and for them to realize and see, oh my goodness, Paul is right. Oh my goodness, Paul is right. And then people would come to Christ in the synagogue. Paul would walk out and people would follow him. Imagine that. I mean, let's picture that. Little little Timmy, freshly circumcised, so that he can enter and be, you know, the wingman of Paul. And little Timmy, they walk in the synagogue together. They sit down. And then you have all these thought leaders, so to speak. Open up a scroll. The rabbi teaches. He pauses, he stops. You know, other people add, you know, other people say this, other people say that. Does anybody else have something to say? Paul stands up. Little Timmy stays seated in a sea of men, the thought leaders, the religious leaders, you know, everything according to the law. Paul stands up. Yes, I have something to say. You read XYZ, but do you understand XYZ? Because XYZ over here relates to XYZ over here and one, two, three over here. As the prophet Isaiah says, as the prophet Jeremiah says, as Moses says. You see, and Paul is engaging, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And say in that room, there's a hundred people. So these thinkers, they see that Paul has proven that Jesus is the Messiah. They leave. The service is done. They leave. Paul and little Timmy walk out. And then people start following Paul. What do we do? Since we know now, you know, you revealed to us, Paul, it's not me, it's Christ. It's the Spirit of our Lord. What must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins and you will be saved. And people would go to synagogue and then from synagogue with Paul and little Timmy, go to Christ and become Christians. Now, look at the religious leaders. When for a year, day after day, week after week, year after year, 
That's their business, so to speak. They pull profit from synagogue, operating in synagogue. And all of a sudden, oh, look, we have synagogue today and we have a hundred people here. And okay, look, we're going to pass around the offering plate. People make their offerings, their tithes, and look, everything according to the law. Oh, look, we have, you know, we have overflow capacity today. Big smile on their face. And then the rabbi, does anybody have any comments about this? Ah, uh, yes, I do. Paul has his hand up and he stands up and says, Oh, yes, I have something to say about this. And there's little Timmy looking up at him. And all the other religious leaders are like, hmm, Who is this guy? Who is this guy? And then they see like all the people being kind of like spiritually aroused, like, you know, I don't mean arousal in terms of the flesh, but I mean like a spiritual arousal, like, you know, like, is what he's saying true? You know what? He's Yes, Isaiah does say this. And yes, Jeremiah does say this. And yes, Hosea says this. And yes, the psalmist says this. And yes, David went through this. And David speaking like this, just like Moses said here. And oh my goodness. The Messiah has come. And then all of a sudden, it's the next week. And instead of overflow, the religious leaders say like, wow, look, there's there's only five people here today. Because people came to Christ. Now, instead of the religious leaders saying, you know what, Paul is right. He's proven that Jesus is the Messiah. We're going we're gonna to become Christians. Instead of that happening. They say, oh, look, these Christians, they're destroying our business model. Let's kill Paul. The whole time, little Timmy, he sees that happening. He sees the fight. He sees the suffering. He sees the tribulation. He sees it all. Why? Because little Timmy is going to grow and mature, literally, physically, in, in flesh. But he's also growing and maturing in Christ. And it's going to be his turn one day to feed the flock. It's going to be his turn one day to protect the flock. You see? It's beautiful when you... You see, I mean, we're just in verse 1. <laughs> Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timmy, our brother, little Timmy, and Timothy, our brother. That's a big deal when you when you put things in perspective. And understand, a year after this, Paul, Paul is going to write to little Timmy, his pastoral epistle, pastor to pastor. Old pastor to young pastor. Dying pastor to living pastor. Pastor who's about to have his head chopped off to young pastor who's still living. Paul to Timothy. An exhortation. I mean, we're just in verse one. It's like, well, this is, this is beautiful. This is a big deal. And so we see here in verse two, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. You see, it's a a region in Asia Minor, a suburb of Laodicea. To the saints and faithful brethren, not just saints. Remember 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, see? Oh, to the saints, to the saints, to the saints. 
but not all letters say to the saints and the faithful brethren. Remember, in our study last week, there's a confidence in the circumcision. Male or female, there's a confidence in the circumcision. Yes, females can be circumcised only in Christ because it's a circumcision of the heart. And there's a certain confidence level with maturing in Christ because certain things through obedience are now effectuated in the faithful saint. You see? And these are things that are identified in these letters. To the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. It's so glorious. But you need eyes to see and ears to hear. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Father, Son, and then by the work of the Spirit, which we're going to see. The triune nature of God, Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim. Triune nature of God, plurality to Elohim. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Verse 3, we give thanks to the, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Remember, it's a customary thing for, for Paul. This was very, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Very interesting. Now, Paul is in the region. He is in country, so to speak, uh, 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 around um, 48 AD. But there's no specific entry into Colossae, into you know the, 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 the Colossian region. And so what happens is that, you know, it's like, Wait a second, does, you know, the, is Paul's knowledge base of the Colossian saints, is it just by word? Was it somebody else who, you know, was, was, was somebody in Asia Minor heard Paul, became a Christian, and then all of a sudden goes and a church is started from him? You see, there's, it's, I don't want to say ambiguity, but there's this, it's, it's beautiful because now you see that the fire is started, you know, where not just Paul, but where all his saints go. Remember in, in Judea, there was a diaspora and you have these Christians and there's this diaspora from Judea, but at the same time where they go, so does the word. And so churches were started. And so Paul would hear, Oh, I hear there's Christians over there. I'm going to go and visit them. Oh, I hear there's Christians over here. I'm going to go and visit them. Or I hear there's Christians over here. I'm going to write them a letter. You see? And Paul in his bubble, he would have runners. Okay, I'm going to, here, you know, he'd write a letter. He'd roll it up and say, here, you know, take this. This is, give this to the pastor of the, the church over here. Give this to the pastor of the church over here. And sometimes runners would meet each other. Set up these arrangements. So one runner would, you know, uh, Paul would say, here, roll up a, a letter here, take this to, you know, this church. And so the church would be at a meeting point, a rally point, and one runner. And so Paul's runner in his bubble would go and run to the runner. And then the runner, that runner would come back to Paul because there was another letter that, you know, to another, another church or another home, another home fellowship. And then the runner that took the, the scroll, the letter from the rep, the, from Paul's runner would then run it to the church. And then inside the church, they would have people copying it, writing it down and copying it word for word. And then they would have runners to spread to the church. And that's how the word spread. 
That's how the word of God spread. And not just the word of God, because remember, each individual Christian has a testimony too and can share the good news. But then at the same time, to grow and mature, oh, look, we got a letter from Paul. Oh, look, we got a letter from Peter. Oh, look, we got a letter from James. And so they would duplicate it and make copies. People in the church would read it and be like, okay, cool, we're going to apply this. But then at the same time, there's another person, you know, carefully writing, word for word, carefully writing, word for word. And then that person would be done writing, roll it up, and then hand it to their runner, their church runner, who would run it to another home fellowship. And meanwhile, when he hands it off, he immediately picks up another parchment and starts writing it down, writing another, the same exact thing, word for word. No copy machines back then. We're so spoiled now. That's what happened. That's how the word spread. The work of the ministry. And so Paul says in verse 4, We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. And could it be that Paul knows through Epaphras, which we see in, chap- in, in, in uh, chapter 4, verse, I'm going to have to get ahead of myself, but go to Colossians chapter 4. And in verse 12, we see of Epaphras, in verse, uh, Colossians 4, verse 12, we see Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently in your prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You see, Epaphras. And then you also, in chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, you see, uh, uh, in verse 7, as you learn from Epaphras, our dear fellows, is it Epaphras? When Paul gets into the region in Asia Minor and he steps foot, was it Epaphras who became a Christian and heard from Paul and then Epaphras? Epaphras goes into Colossae and says, hey, guys, let me tell you the good news. And he, you know, the fire goes from, you know, the spread from uh, uh, from Paul to Epaphras and Epaphras goes home and then in Colossae and then did the church grow from that? And that's what I love, this beautiful ambiguity. Now, ambiguity can be dangerous too. The unknown. But ambiguity can be beautiful because it's like, whoa, look how the fire spreads. Holy fire. And so Paul in verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you, which awaits you in heaven, paradise. We have to remember, you know, Satan likes to muddy the waters. He likes to get us distracted or attempt to get us distracted in the things of the world, the cares and the riches of life. And that's the handiwork of Satan. Sometimes, you know, using the flesh. We have a hope. We have a hope that is laid up for us in heaven. Let me word it a little differently from verse 5. You, my beautiful brother, you, my beautiful sister, you have hope that awaits you in paradise. We have to remember this. And as Satan attempts to muddy the waters, to get our distraction away from the word of God and our obedience to him, yielding to him and yielding to the spirit, To be steadfast. Not look to the left, not look to the right. But keep our eyes firmly in the word. You and me. That's what we do. Understanding that there is a hope that awaits us in paradise. 
Paul says in verse 5, of which you heard before. So there's nothing new. You heard before in the word, the logos of the truth of the gospel. You see? Who was it? Was it Epaphras that gave them the gospel? I don't know. I don't know. But the fire was spread. Now, I'm going to say something which this comes with a huge warning. And here it is. Put on your seatbelts. <laughs> I'm going to say just a little phrase. Here it is. Jesus could do no mighty work. Whoa. That's heavy. That's heavy. I said, put on your seatbelts. Jesus could do no mighty work. Now you're hearing that. You're like, oh, blasphemy, blasphemy. Jesus could do no mighty work. Sounds blasphemous. Turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, now he could do no mighty work. Brother Mark, Brother Mark says Jesus Christ could do no mighty work. There. Why is that? Jesus Christ who could absolutely do, all things are possible in him. And yet Jesus Christ could do no mighty work? Absolutely. Why? Look at, still in chapter 6 in Mark, look at verse 2. In verse 2, Jesus, he began to teach in the synagogue. And, you know, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, this, this is the, the people question. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. And then the people question, and this is the question, where did this man get these things? Uh, Small town. If you ever been in a small town, everybody knows everything. Me personally, I don't like small towns. I mean, I like small towns for the sake of the saints, but I don't like the, 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 the small towns for the sake of everybody's in your business. You know, so it, 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 it pictures small town. No TV, no movies, no social media, no whatever. No, no, you know, social media was like everybody talking, everybody talking, and so Jesus is in town, and. Who is this guy? Where did he get the... How, how is he in synagogue and he's teaching the... Where did he go to school? Do you guys know where he went to school? Where did he go to university? Does any, anybody know? Who, where did he get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him? That's what the people were saying. Where did he get these things? And where did he get this wisdom? And then... In verse 3, you see, still in verse 2, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is, is, is this which is given to him? That such mighty works are performed by his hands. So they hear him. They hear what he says. And they see what he does, his works. But then what they do is they apply logic and intellect instead of faith. Verse 3, here's their logic. Here's their intellect. Carnal thinking. Remember, they question, who is this guy? Who is this man? Where did he get this wisdom? Verse 3, is this not the carpenter? 
the son of Mary? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Question mark. And are not his sisters here with us? You see? And here's the conclusion that they come up with using their logic and intellect. So they were offended at him. Whoa. They were offended. Remember, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. Verse 4, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. And Brother Mark reveals this in verse 5. Now he could do no mighty work there. You see? He could absolutely do all kinds of... He's the Son of God. Why is it not to, not to say that he's powerless, but yet why is it that he could do no mighty work there? And it is revealed. I mean, it's, it's already revealed. You see the uh, people who have applied, they, they question Christ. Where did he get this? They, where do you get this wisdom? And so they apply logic and intellect. And in applying logic and intellect, they became offended. And in their offense, what in their offense, I should say not offense, but offense in their offense, what happened? As a result, Jesus could do no mighty work among them there. And in verse six, he marveled because of their unbelief. It's a big danger in the church today. In inside the church, the world is the world. It's a, it's a big danger in the world too. See, doubt. Applying logic and intellect where we need to apply faith. Among unbelievers, applying logic and intellect where you need to apply faith. If you're a non-believer and you're listening, you're applying logic and intellect to a to, to a, a mystery that is spiritually discerned. And I don't say, okay, take logic and intellect and throw it in the trash. I say take logic and intellect and dethrone them and apply faith. Because in Christ, all things are possible. In Christ and through Christ, all things are possible. But what doubt does, what logic does, what intellect does, and what it leads to unbelief. And then all of a sudden, he could do no mighty work as a result of unbelief. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. That's why there's a a big problem among the so-called intellectuals in the faith today. And I see it mostly among the Calvinist and Reformed theory people. They say that the gifts and the moving and the things of the Holy Spirit that we see in the book of Acts are not for today. It was for another dispensation. It was for 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. It is not for today. Now, you know, they call it strange fire. Having themselves become the strange fire. 
speaking against the uh, charismatic and the Pentecostal. Now, the Pentecostal and the charismatic, they have their own issues. If you're charismatic and Pentecostal, I love you, but you're wrong. You know, if there's if you're in a church with 500 people and 500 people are speaking in tongues, including the two-year-olds and the one-year-old and the babies, that's wrong. That's not the formula. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and you'll understand about the Holy Spirit and the gifts and how he moves. If you're, uh, cal- uh, if you're charismatic or Pentecostal, you listen to our study through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. If you're Calvinist or Reformed theory, listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. And you'll understand. Both of you, both camps. Calvinist and Reformed and, you know, Pentecostal and, 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 and charismatic. I love you guys, but you both wrong. You see? And so as a result, you know, uh, Reformed theory people, Calvinists, you know, they, oh, that was for another dispensation. The Holy Spirit doesn't move like that anymore. That was for 2,000 years ago. What we see in the book of Acts, that's not for today. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. You will not find an expiration date on the moving of the Holy Spirit. You will not find that in the Bible. And what happens? Just like in here in in Mark chapter 6 verse 5, that Jesus could do no mighty work among these people, but you look at the heart of these people. They do not apply faith. They apply logic and intellect where they should be applying faith. And as a result, he could do no mighty work. And as a result of their logic and intellect, they had unbelief. They were religious, but they had unbelief in Jesus Christ, the real Jesus, whose word is above his name. It's one of the traps of the last days. Because the so-called intellectuals say, oh, look, that strange fire. What you see among the Pentecostals and what you see among the charismatic, that is strange fire. And they say, look, that is strange fire, strange fire, strange fire. Therefore, what we see in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit, that's not for today. And you have all these acolytes, all these adherents to these teachings that say, yes, that is for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. And it spreads like wildfire. That's the strange fire. False doctrine. No, the Holy Spirit moves. The Lord moves. But he doesn't move when there's unbelief. You won't find the power and the moving of the real Holy Spirit if you're following false doctrine. And I say that to the Calvinists, to the Reformed theory people. Among the Calvinists and the Reformed, you're starting to see pastors, so-called pastors, who say, go ahead, take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. Once saved, always saved. That's what they're teaching. Now, it's not to say that they're, like, you look at the charismatic and the, and the Pentecostal. Yes, that's also not right it is also like okay listen the holy spirit there's order how the lord works charismatic pentecostal listen to our study through first corinthians 12 13 and 14 calvinist reformed you listen to our study through uh, uh romans 7 8 9 10 and 11 
And I say to both camps, come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. Non-believers, you're stuck in the world. You're in the world. I say the same to you. Come out of her, my people. Listen to our study. Listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ. We're living in the last days. All these things are being exposed for such a time as this for people to make their choices, for people to make their decisions. And the clarion call of God, come out of her, my people, to where there is safe. The only safety that any person has is in Christ. I shouldn't even say it that way. The only safety that any of us have is in Jesus, Son of the Most High. Because the real Jesus says that in the last days there will be many Christs. Many Christs. You see? But the real Christ, Jesus, His word is above His name. That's how we'll know. And so we look at Mark 6 and it's like, whoa, Jesus could, he could do anything and yet he could do no mighty work. Why is it? Because look at the heart of the people. Look at the people. Now, we go back to Colossians and in Colossians 1, when we see, you know, in verse 5, when Paul says, yes, we have this hope that is awaits us in heaven and you have this hope that awaits in, 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 in heaven. In verse 5, Colossians 1, verse 5. Of which you heard before in the word of truth, in, in the word of the truth of the gospel. Now, you see, just like Mark cites in, Mar, in, in Brother Mark cites in Mark chapter 6. Now you see the Colossian saints, they didn't have that doubt. They didn't have that logic and in, intellect that they applied to a spiritual mystery. And the gospel of Jesus Christ was received the seed was in their hearts, not on the wayside. Understand that the truth of the gospel, when received, all of a sudden there are there is effectual power in the truth of the gospel. Effectual power in the truth of the gospel, but not everyone has ears to hear. I'll say that again. There is effectual power in the truth of the gospel. But not everyone has ears to hear. For the person that says, Oh, the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. How he worked in Acts, that's not for today. That individual does not have ears to hear. Do not heed them. And I see a very high concentration among the Calvinists and Reformed. There is a better way, my friend, if you're Calvinist or Reformed. You see? Now, among the Charismatic and Pentecostals who have, in some ways, in some cases, a lot of ways, made a mockery of the Holy Spirit. There is order we serve a God of order. Where you see chaos, that is not of the Lord. There is a spe specific order of church fellowship. 
in regards to the moving of the Spirit. Very specific. We follow the blueprints. The formula's got to be right. In the pastor, the formula's got to be right. In the elder, the formula's got to be right. In the church, in service, the formula's got to be right. And if it's not, that's a red flag to all saints. That's a red flag. Female pastor, huge red flag, jump ship. Female elders, red flag, jump ship. A thousand people in the church, 50 people in the church, 50 people speaking in tongues, including the, the, the newborns. Huge red flag, jump ship. Pastors on his fourth marriage and previous wives are still alive, jump ship. The formula's got to be right. It, it begs the question, where do we go? Where do we go? You're citing all these things and I go over here and I see it. 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 Where do we go? There is nowhere to go. Where do we go? And I say unto you, behold the last days. We knew these things would come. Many signs. And this truth of the gospel, which came to the saints, which came to Colossae and made saints, the truth of the gospel is the same truth of the gospel that spreads today. But remember, the formula's got to be right. And there is effectual power in that. It's the gift of the Spirit. And in verse 6, that the truth of the gospel, in verse 6, which has come to you, as it is also, at, it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. Now, what Mark cites? No fruit. No fruit. Why? Look at the heart. Look at, I mean, a, a little bit, a little bit of fruit because, you know, the Lord healed a, a few sick people, a few sick people and healed them. But not everybody. Why? You look at the heart. In Colossae, Look at the hearts. You have saints. In Corinth, look at the hearts. See, hearts that receive the gospel, but without... I mean, gardens have gardeners. Little pruning here, little pruning there, little snip snip here. You don't tend the garden and it turns into a mess. Pastors, elders don't tend the flock. Turns into a mess, as has happened in Corinth. And the truth of the gospel is bringing forth fruit in, in verse 6, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew. You see, no doubting. No doubting like Brother Mark indicates in, in Mark 6. No doubting. And knew the grace of God in truth. Not the grace of God according to Catholicism. Not the grace of God according to, you know, what feels good in our hearts, what feels good, you know, in, in what feels good here. And not a, according to truth. The grace of God in truth. You see, we worship the Lord in spirit and truth. And truth hurts. I tell you from experience, and you know this already, truth hurts. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, Truth hurts. It's painful. 
Because we get down and dirty in our studies. Yes, there are beautiful, beautiful passages in Scripture. Very beautiful. But there are also very painful passages in Scripture. Especially when you see how the Lord deals with a person that you have, like the person is exactly like you. And I tell you this from experience. When the person is exactly like you, male, female, it doesn't matter. Young, old, it doesn't matter. But when the person in the Bible exhibits traits that are in you, and then you see how the Lord deals with them, it's scary. That's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit goes into the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. It goes into the world. And how a person responds, they can be offended, like in Mark 6. They can be offended, like one of the signs of the last days in Matthew 24. Or they can be cut to the heart. And just like the people asked of Peter in the book of Acts, what do we do? You see, repentance. To believe in Jesus Christ. And now all of a sudden, in belief in Jesus Christ and the receiving of the gospel and knowing the grace of God in truth, look at all these things that are now effectuated in the believer. So the Spirit of the Lord goes into the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And because the saints, you and me, because the saints have responded in a, in, in, to that conviction, not in a manner of being cut to the heart and offended, but being cut to the heart and we fall to our knees. Now the Holy Spirit is not going into the world in us. Now the Holy Spirit is straight up inside of us, the Shekinah glory of the Lord inside of the temple. And I speak of the body. And there is the seal of the Holy Spirit. You see? We have to understand. When you hear us say the formula's got to be right, you know, the triangle and the tri triangle shape and the triangle hole, the, the square and the square hole, the circle and the circle. When you hear us say that, yes, from a doctrinal perspective, prophecy perspective, situational perspective, yes. But also inside of our hearts. Also inside of you. Which confirms your circumcision which confirms your sealing of the holy spirit now, when you have that even if you like you might say like oh i'm preschool and i don't understand the bible but what you know as preschool you obey you're obedient to the word remember faith without works is dead brother james I mean, Brother James says that. I don't mean Brother James speaking to you. I mean, Brother James says, faith without works is dead. Now, it's not works like, oh, I got to get 10 converts today. It's not that kind of works. It's obedience. It's belief without obedience is dead. Even the demons believe. Do they obey Jesus? You see? Look at Corinth. When babies, baby, 1 Corinthians 3, Babies. 
Paul says, you guys are on milk, and I wish I could give you, like, the pork chops, but no, you're still on milk. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist. I wish I could give you pork chops, deep spiritual ribeye steaks, but you can't. I got, you're still on milk. You see? Now comes the question, why are they babies? This person's a baby because he became a believer last week. This lady's a baby because she became a believer today. Okay, praise the Lord. That's beautiful. This guy's a baby because he's having sex with his dad's wife for three years. Okay, that's Levin. You see? Now, because you have the defunct pastors and elders in Corinth who refused their responsibility and, and did not clean house and keep the house of the Lord clean because of that. Look at beautiful Chloe. She writes a letter to Paul. And Paul responds and says, okay, all saints, you know, I, once you identify leaven, and this is the works of the flesh, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians 5. Okay, separate. Separate. Don't even eat with such a person. You see? There is such basic simplicity. But we like to complicate it. I don't know why. I, mean, I get it. But it's one of the tactics of Satan. To complicate things. To complicate things to a level where we become immobilized. I mean, have you ever, like, had like, like when I was in school, like in my high school, you know, I always say, like, we'd have like, you know, three months, three month projects. And I would always do it the day before it was due. I wouldn't even study. I would always do it the day before it was due. I got like, you know, C average, B average. And I would always do it the day before, the night before it was due. And that's, but you know, you have like the people that would start it, like, you know, the day it was assigned, you know, but we'd have this huge project and I always start it like the night before. And so, you know, we have, the, it's like, there's this delay that like, you know, the, the, this fear of like, you know, it's like, oh, there's this three month project and it's so complicated and I got to go to the library, I got to study this. And sometimes there's so much complication that it becomes immobilizing I'm, I'm, in 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 other application to things of the world things that we got to do sometimes you might have a job you might have a task you might have a certain something that you got to do and it becomes just the thought of it there's so much complication to it they're like oh i'll just i'll save it for another day or i won't do it or but when it comes to the word of god that's what Satan does. He tries, to, I mean, when you hold a Bible, I mean, some Bibles are different, but I'm looking at mine and mine is like, I don't know, three inches. I'm just eyeballing it, but mm, three inches. You know, medium-sized text, they're not small text. And sometimes people look at the Bible and they're like, whoa, it's so complicated. I'm not even going to read it. And sometimes a person will listen to a sermon and be like, whoa, this is so complicated. I'm not even going to, you know, it's so complicated. There's that immobilizing aspect to it. But that's one of the traps of Satan and his ministers. That's what they do. Oh, don't read the Bible. Don't read the Bible. Look, it's so complicated. Don't bother reading the Bible. Look, let me tell you what it means. That's what they do. Let me tell you, you can't interpret this. And so 
let me tell you what it means. You see? But it's so basic. Now, yes, in academia, like, you know, you might have a, a three-month project and, you know, don't wait till the last day. But, you know, in the thought of it, it might be so overwhelming that it's incapacitating. But there is so much basic simplicity, beautiful, beautiful simplicity that we have in Christ. You see? It's beautiful. He's the one who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's the one who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But Satan and his ministers, they're the ones that like to complicate it. You see? Do you know how beautiful it is for Paul to say, follow me as I follow Christ? And in Paul, it's safe. It's safe to follow Paul. It's safe for Timothy to follow Paul. It's safe for Priscilla to follow Paul. It's safe for Chloe to follow Paul. It is safe for Paul to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And it is safe for all these people. It's safe for you and me to follow Paul. He's a pattern. It is safe. But for the ones who say, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. For, for the ones who say, let's go grave soaking. For the ones who call the Holy Spirit glitter. For the ones who say God is done with Israel. For the ones who are the money preachers. For the ones who are themselves, there's hypocrisy in their lives. For them to say the exact, they might even have, you know, the, 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 the pastor parking spot. For them to say, follow me as I follow Christ. That's dangerous. And not just dangerous. It's straight up deadly. You see? Straight up deadly. You must not follow false doctrine. How will you know false doctrine? You got to read doctrine. Yes, there are parts of the Bible that have... There is complication. I... I and I say that in a carnal in a carnal sense, there is complication. But you need a teacher. The Lord has people who will reveal these things and explain these things. The Lord has these people, such as Paul, such as Timothy, such as Titus, such as Chloe. You see, the Lord has these people. And so we see here in verse 7. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, translates as a co-slave. A co-slave. Remember our study through the Old Testament? And you look at slavery in, in, in Canaan, you're like, whoa, slavery is no joke. You look at slavery in, 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 uh, uh, among the Moabites, among the Hittites and Hivites, like, whoa, slavery is no joke. I don't want to be a slave there. But then you look at the camp of Israel and it's like, well, slavery is not so bad. In fact, I love the master so much that now it's my opportunity to be free and I refuse my freedom. And I want to continue to be a bondservant to my master. Why? Because I have fallen in love with my master and my master loves me back. You see? And Paul says of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister, translates as diakonos, deacon, the capacity of deacon, a teacher. Also, you know, it, it also includes 
pastors as well in this capacity of ministry. A faithful servant of Christ, but notice, on your behalf. On your behalf. You know what this reveals to us? That is for you, Colossian saints. The Lord has called Epaphras. The Lord is using Epaphras as a faithful minister. But it's for the saints. It's not for Epaphras to be an influencer so that he can have a million followers on social media so he can have a special parking spot. It's not for the glory of Epaphras. Number one, it's for the glory of the Lord. And the Lord is the one who called him to serve in that capacity, but it's for the saint on your behalf. We have to understand. Pastors, elders, if you're on a high horse, repent and get off. Well, get off first and repent. And in some cases, you might have to step down. Get off your high horse. If you're pastor or elder, get off your high horse. Oh, I'm university level. Look how awesome I am. Get off your high horse. Repent. Get off your high horse, high horse and repent. Epaphras in verse 8, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. In the Spirit. Capital S. The baptism of the Holy Spirit among the saints in Colossae. He says in verse 9, for this reason... We also notice the unity, the unity here, the co, the, the, the co-union. Remember, it's not just a social club. It's not, you know, the gathering of the saints is beautiful, but it's not a social club. These are, yes, they're saints, but in verse two, faithful brethren. It's a little different. When Paul says, saints and faithful brethren. You don't see this wording in 1 Corinthians. You don't see this wording, you know, because the guy having sex with his dad's wife, is he faithful? He believes in Jesus Christ, but is he obeying? Remember, even the demons believe, but do they obey Christ? And so Paul, in this co-union... In verse 9, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Do not cease to pray for you. Remember, he says in verse 4, we heard of your faith in Christ. And yet Paul is saying in verse 9, we don't cease to pray for you. I love that so much. In these last days, you and me, you and me. There is a separation in the flesh. According to the flesh, you and me, there is a separation. But I pray for you. I love you. I pray for you. Pray for one another. Because there is unity in the Spirit. And Paul says, not, I do not cease to pray for you. He says, and to ask that you may be filled with 
the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding translates as non-carnal or supernatural understanding. You see, three things. These are biggies. Knowledge of his will, all wisdom and spiritual understanding, non-carnal understanding, supernatural understanding. And that's what he prays for. Upon the, the, the Colossian saints who he heard uh, of their faith in Christ Jesus from verse 4. Who did he hear it from? Was it just, you know, a run of the mill, somebody walking by and he overheard it in a conversation? No, Epaphras, a faithful minister, the account of Epaphras. And so look at that. Look at the beauty of knowing that Epaphras is honorable before the Lord. And so Paul can receive that and say like, okay, you know, these my co-union with these people. Now, if Epaphras was just, you know, run of the mill, if he was like, you know, a, a baby Christian, like a First Corinthians 3 type among the, the leaven, yes, he believes in Jesus, but could Paul believe his account? No. You see? No. And I know these things are... If you're... A baby in Christ, which is very lovely. Some of the things that we discuss and, and study in terms of um, moving on to perfection, they might be very abrasive. Might be very abrasive. I meant for me to even say like, you know, if Epaphras was, you know, the guy who was having sex with his dad's wife in 1 Corinthians, you know, as revealed in 1 Corinthians 5, you know, could Paul believe his account? The answer is no. And yes, the answer is a firm no. Now, if you're listening for the first time and you're like a, a, a brand new believer, it's like, whoa, this is like heavy. Which is why we say, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and move, get yourself caught up because you'll understand and it will help you. It will help you grow. It will help you mature. It will help you have this understanding. And then when you hear this again in Colossians 1, you'll be like, oh, okay, I get it now. Wow, certainly that is not Epaphras. Oh, certainly, you know, Paul couldn't believe Epaphras if that were the case with him, but it's not the case with him. You see? And Paul, when he prays for these saints in Colossae, he prays that for their knowledge, their wisdom, their spiritual understanding. And in verse 10, well, why does he do these things? In verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Remember, Paul knows the threats. Saints know the threats, but Paul knows the threats on a different level. Remember our study in the book of Acts? He's got the bruises and the scars to prove it. I mean, he's straight up in prison when he writes this letter. He knows the threats that are going to come upon each individual saint, threats that are going to come upon the church. He wrote the letter to the Corinthian saints. And, you know, you might well put up with them. You know, I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy. And you might well put up with these servants of Satan. I don't want that to happen, but. I know what's going to happen. Remember Paul says to the, uh, in the Miletus meeting, the elders of Ephesus, he says, after my departure, ravenous wolves will come in and even from among you will become wolves. He says, after my departure, because he knows. And not to exalt Paul and be like, whoa, this guy knows his stuff, but to exalt Christ in Paul. Remember Paul says of himself, I'm, 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 a, I'm a dead guy. That's what Paul says of himself. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And Paul, when he's on his face before the Lord, he prays for the saints in Colossae. And not just Colossae, in Corinth, in Ephesus, all over. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, in verse 10, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see? Pastoral prayers. Pastors. Pastors and elders, I have a message for you. Elders, fulfill your ministry in keeping the house of the Lord clean, in serving the Lord and keeping his house clean and helping the saints, helping the preschoolers in the first grade, the kindergartner, helping them, helping them grow, keep, keeping them safe as the Lord's house is clean. Because in so doing, you free up your pastor so that he can study, so that he can be on his face before the Lord. And, you know, there might be prayer requests from the saints so that he can make those things known to the Lord in praying these petitions before the Lord. But then at the same time, what about the unsaid prayer requests? Pastors can be on their face before the Lord praying these exact same things that the saints in the fellowship can be filled with knowledge and wisdom and understanding that they may walk, may walk worthy in the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Elders, come alongside your pastor and help him. And together you can pray these things. But when we get into the pastoral epistles, you're going to understand more about keeping the house of the Lord clean. And I tell you the truth. There are very few pastors, very few elders who meet the biblical qualifications. I don't say that in pride. I say that in pain. I say that in terror for the saint. I say that with sorrow. But it's another sign of the last days. Times of sorrows. He continues, there's more in verse 11, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. Now, remember, in the area of Rome, the cost of being a Christian at this particular time is the same as Philippi, the same as Ephesus. It's heavy. The cost of being a Christian. And look how Paul is exhorting the people. Oh, it's dangerous to be a Christian, so go over here. Oh, it's dangerous to be a Christian, so go over here where it is safe. No, the safety is only in the Lord. It's 
dangerous to be a Christian. And as we get further in the events of the last days, it's dangerous. It will be dangerous even more so to be a Christian. Jesus Christ even reveals that it will be more terrible than any time in history. You look back at history and you see terrible moments. And no flesh will be saved unless those days be shortened. Look at how Paul exhorts the church, exhorts the saints. Safety only in Christ. The real Jesus. You see? In verse 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. The fullness of joy which we have in the Lord. In verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers, who has, in verse 12, who has qualified us to be partakers, translates, who has enabled us to share in the portion of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Does this sound familiar? If you've been walking with us for a while, and you remember our studies through the Old Testament in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, how there is a portion for priests. The priests don't have to work because their portion comes from the people. And it's not the people that are underwriting the priests. The people are making offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. That's their transaction to the Lord. But then the Lord has a transaction to the priests. Which is, you know, the, peop the people offer this, priests, go ahead and eat it, a portion of it. You see? There's portions for the priesthood in their service unto the Lord in Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. Now, if you're listening and you haven't been walking with us for a while, listen to our study through Leviticus and you'll understand. You see how the things of the Old Testament, of the Torah, or a shadow of things to come. Of Christ, of the saints, of the workers, the pastors and elders. You see? In verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Now, understand, he says the power of darkness. Understand that there's no denying the power of evil. There is power in evil the same way the Egyptians, you know, the Egyptians through, you know, Janus and Jambres, you know, they have the, 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 the priests of Egypt. They had power. They could also turn water into blood or, or water red. They could also turn make the water red. Look, Pharaoh, look, the God of Israel, the, the God, God that Moses speaks of. Don't listen to him because, yeah, they can do this, but we can do it too. There is power in other gods. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose son is Jesus Christ, he's almighty. There's no one power, more powerful than him. He is almighty. In verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. And understand that, yes, there's no denying the power of evil, but through God's deliverance, that power of darkness becomes powerless. Just like in Egypt, they could turn the water red, but they can't make it hail. 
You see? Same things with the gods of today. Whether it be sex, drugs, alcohol. You know, we have to put things in perspective in knowing who God is. There is none more powerful than Him. None. And yes, you know, under, and I tell you from experience in the vice of alcohol, understanding that there's no one mightier than Him. And yes, alcohol had its stronghold in me. This was, you know, 25 plus years ago, 20, 25 plus, 25 years ago. I'm terrible at math. I'll probably be saying, you know, 25 years ago for the next 30 years, you know, should the Lord tarry. And if I don't die. <laughs> but there was power in the God that I served, which was alcohol. But the real Jesus, there is healing in him. You see? Sometimes I talk to Christians like, oh man, you know, like, I do the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, this, that, this. It's like, well, wait a second, you know, are, are, are you a new believer? No, 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 I've been a Christian my whole life, 20 years, I've been going to the church, 30 years, I've been going to, it's like, well, that's a powerless life. That's a powerless life, my friend. You see? And so, you know, there are Christians who believe, oh, that the power of the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago, that was for another dispensation. Now, if that's your mindset, do you think the power of the Holy Spirit, who's no respecter of, remember, God is no respecter of persons. Do you see how that doubt, it, 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 it presents barriers to the very power that we need to live the Christian life. Remember, the Holy Spirit, there's, you know, remember the Lord, not by, not by, not, uh, not by might nor uh, power, but by my spirit. That same spirit, there is power in him. Understand, the formula's got to be right. And doubt presents the barriers by which that power can be effectuated to know that the God of alcohol is pipsqueak. The God of sex, drugs, you know, the whole nine yards, Buddha and whatever, which there is power in those gods. But they're little pipsqueaks, little, little tiny pebbles to the power of the Lord. And to hear us say that, you know, be a Berean, be a Berean, be a Berean. It's not just so we can have knowledge. It's so that we can have this understanding of knowing that, wow, you know what? If I just, if I rid myself of a doctrine that says the Holy Spirit moves 2,000 years ago and not for today, that was for the book of Acts. If I knock that barrier down, look at all the things which become effectuated by that belief. Applying logic and intellect where faith needs to be applied. That logic and intellect can be the very barrier behind living life in power. And yes, there is power in the spirit. 
But Jesus Christ says of this power and calls it him, not an it. He calls him the Paracletus, the helper, the helper. He helps you in your walk with Christ. He helps you in your walk with him. Oh, why do I turn the other cheek? Your helper will help you. How do I do? The helper will help you. You see? The, remember, the Lord says, I mean, he created all things. The creator of the universe, the stars, the sun, the moon, him. And you think like, whoa, that is power. And yes, there's power. But he says, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. That put things in like crazy perspective. And no disrespect to the Lord. I mean, crazy perspective, like just mind-blowing perspective. Like, whoa, that's the spirit that we're talking about? Yes, that's the spirit that we're talking about. By my spirit. And that spirit, which is inside of the faithful saint in the temple. Old Testament, what happens when the temple of God is defiled? The glory of the Lord leaves. You see? New Testament, what happens when the glory of the Lord, when the temple of the Lord is defiled? The glory of the Lord leaves. Oh, but I'm a believer. I've I've been a believer since I was 10 years old. I did the altar call and I have the seal of the Holy Spirit. Don't forget, it is possible to believe in Jesus Christ without having the Spirit of the Lord. Listen to our study through Acts. You'll understand. Remember, Philip, the evangelist, people are Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ. John and, and, and Peter come to town. And Peter, they perceived that the Spirit had not fallen on them. Just that alone reveals to us that it's possible to be a Christian, believe in Jesus Christ, without the Holy Spirit. People today, oh, I live a powerless life. I know I've been a Christian for 20 years and I still do the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the whole nine yards. Perhaps, my friend, Perhaps my brother, perhaps my sister, you believe without the Spirit, the Helper, who the Lord says will help you. You see? And yes, there is power behind the gods of sex and drugs and alcohol and Buddha and this and that. There's power. They have power. They have strongholds. Satan has strongholds and he uses these things to trap people to enslave people. But when the formula is right inside of a believer with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which, I mean, that's straight up power. I mean, it's the Spirit of the Lord. I mean, you know, not by power, not by might, but by my Spirit. I say that, you know, that that's power, but it's the Spirit. He's the Spirit. Him. Now, Sex, drugs, alcohol, Buddha, this, that, the occult. Little peanuts, little pipsqueaks, you flick, flick them away. You see? 
In verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Has transferred us, is how that translates in verse 13, into the kingdom of the son of his love. Remember, there is certain confidence in maturity. Remember our study in Philippians, confidence in the circumcision. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Babies, milk drinkers. Being a milk drinker is beautiful, but for babies. You see the abundance of the works of the flesh from 1 Corinthians 5. Do they have this confidence in the Lord? When Paul says of them, you know, commit this guy to Satan. When Paul says to them, this is leaven, a little leaven leavens the bunch. The answer is no, they do not have that confidence. Chloe did. But you see, Chloe as a little remnant before the remnant happened. The saints today are in trouble. The saints today are in trouble. And I don't blame the saints. I don't, I do not blame the Christians. I blame the pastors. Pastors who are not pastoring. But it's a biblical truth, just as we see here in verse 13, that the Lord has delivered us from the power of darkness. There is deliverance in Him. And it might be you listening. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, alcohol might have a stronghold in your life. And I tell you from experience, when alcohol had a, alcohol had a stronghold in my life, I called verbally alcohol was my God. I called it God. And I say that to my shame. And I tell you from experience, just as we see here, this deliverance from the power of darkness, understanding that yes, darkness has power, but it is not all powerful. It is not almighty. But false doctrine presents barriers behind the very means by which you, my beautiful brother, you, my beautiful sister, can live victoriously in Christ. But the formula's got to be right. The formula must be right. See? From teacher, the formula's got to be right. To student, the formula's got to be right. Doctrine, the formula's got to be right. For Paul to say, follow me as I follow Christ, it's safe for you and me to follow Paul. For the person who says, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. And he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Number one, he's following a different Jesus. One of the false Christs that we're warned about, the real Jesus warns about. And he says, follow me as I follow, lowercase c, Christ. You follow him? That's straight up damnation. That's straight up burning hell. We're talking about hellfire damnation. Straight up, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth. You take the mark of the beast, that you're done. See? Oh, but he's got his doctorate. That's nice. He's got a, you know, he's got a theology degree. He's got all these. That's nice. There's simplicity in Christ. It's beautiful. But there is danger. Because Satan roams around like a lion, waiting for whom he may devour. And that's what he does. 
He kills. See? Satan doesn't grab people to, you know, uh, play tiddlywinks. He grabs them to kill them. He drags them to hell. You see? And this victory in Christ has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. In verse 14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He, speaking of Jesus, He is the image or the likeness and resemblance. He is the image of the invisible God. This is God the Father. The firstborn over all creation. Remember in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and my Father are one. One and the same, Elohim, the triune nature of God. In the beginning, Elohim, the triune nature of God. The firstborn over all creation. In the Greek, translates as the head of all things created. You say, wait a second, I thought Jesus Christ was born just 2,000 years ago. How could he be the firstborn over all creation? Turn to John chapter 8 really quick. John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, verse 53, the religious leaders, they ask of Jesus, they say in verse 53, John 8, are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? Question mark. And the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him. Well, remember, he's speaking to the religious leaders. He's speaking to the religious leaders saying, you have not known him. Now, the religious leaders, remember, with knowledge comes in a carnal sense. According to the flesh comes the puffing up. I remember in previous moments in my life as a Christian, more so in the last 10 years, but having conversations with the so-called learned class, Calvinist, Reformed, and, you know, all kinds of different, you know, uh, 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 denominations. I say denominations, but, you know, different doctrines. But to say to an individual who is among the so-called learned class, have you not read? You call yourself a teacher and you do not know? And then you see, you see in a form of the flesh, you see their anger rise. And it's not to get a rise out of them, but it's a valid question. You know, you're a teacher, you're a pastor, and you don't know these things? You say X, Y, Z, but the Bible says one, two, three. Look, you can look it up right here. That's the pride of the flesh. It's not to have the knowledge of the Bible for the sake of, 
Oh, look how awesome I am. I have knowledge. That's the flesh. That's carnality. It's to have the knowledge of the Bible to go to the preschoolers, to go to the kindergartners and the first graders and to say, come on, let's go. Come on, let's grow up. You're in kindergartner? Cool. Let's get into first grade. Okay, you're in first grade? Praise the Lord. Let's get into second grade and let us move on to perfection. And don't forget, you see those wolves out there? They want to kill you, but don't worry about them. I'm going to kill them. You see? That's pastoring. To these religious leaders who asked of Jesus, who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus says, you say that he's your God, but you haven't known him. You don't know him. In verse 55, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Now, you know what's so beautiful about this? You see the religious leaders and they're incensed. Who do you make yourself out to be? And as Jesus says this, they get even more incensed. But picture for a moment, beautiful, beautiful, lovely Hannah. I cannot wait to meet her. Picture Hannah if she were here present, hearing Jesus Christ say these things. And how the religious leaders, they're incensed. But I bet you, I'm not a betting man, but I just, I'm almost certain. Actually, I am certain that Hannah would be worshiping Jesus right there. Because with eyes to see, you can see the heart. The religious leaders incensed. How could this guy, who do you make yourself out to be? You're calling me a liar now? You're saying that I don't know the Lord? You're saying that I don't know God? You're calling me a liar? Who do you make yourself out to be? You know. You see their heart, their pride, and their arrogance. But then picture Hannah at hearing the exact same words. We're in John 8. We can go even further back. Jesus Christ speaking even earlier. But if Hannah were here present, beautiful, 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 lovely Hannah. I mean, I don't say this in a carnal sense. But I see like such like the tenderness of godly women, the tenderness of godly men. It's like these guys, these people, the male, female, young, so beautiful. I don't even have words to express the beauty of it. Here you have these religious leaders and just picture their, how incensed they are. How dare, who is this guy? How dare he speak to us like this? He's telling me that I don't know my stuff. He's telling, calling me a liar. But then if you picture Hannah there, she'd be weeping just on her face before the Lord, worshiping him. Because she has ears to hear. But the religious leaders don't. They're not just deaf, they're also blind. Read Matthew 23. They're not just deaf, they're blind. And so in verse 57, then the Jews said to him, remember, who these are a group of people who apply the intellect and logic instead of faith. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. 
Verse 58, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> Whoa. Hannah, you could see Hannah worshiping the Lord, not wanting to let go of him because she loves him. And yet look what happens in verse 59. Then they took up stones to throw at him. They wanted to kill him. It wasn't yet his time, but you see in their heart, they wanted to kill him. Whoa, that's heavy. That's what I mean behind these barriers of unbelief, these barriers of intellect and logic, which intellect and logic, they can be used of the Lord. They can be very beautiful, but they must be dethroned. Do not apply faith and logic where what needs to be applied is faith. Because that is the way of powerless living. That is the way of religion. You see? That is the way of the deaf. That is the way of the blind. That is the way of death. Straight up weeping and gnashing of teeth, death. Because you want to take the mark of the beast and think you're still saved? doesn't work that way. That's not the right formula. That is straight up weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the danger behind logic and intellect. Logic and intellect is beautiful, but it must be dethroned. You see? Ball's in your court. I, 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 you know, I can't lord over anybody, nor do I want to, but I can urge, I can exhort, and I can teach. You see? That's the threat. Satan is, all, he roams around like a lion. He lays out his booby traps. He lays them out. What does he got? Not to catch them and play tiddlywinks. A game of checkers. Not to catch them and play hopscotch. Not to kill them and drag them to hell. With him. Because he knows he's going there. And he knows his time is short. So in these last days, he's amping up his attacks. Let's go back to Colossians 1. And in Colossians 1, just like we see in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, God the Father, the firstborn over all creation. And it begs the question, well, wait a second, how could, if, he was, if he was born 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years, if he was, how, how can this be? Well, we look at John 8 where Jesus says, before Abraham, you know, that, you know, that takes care of 2,000 years ago. Before he was born in the flesh, even before Abraham. Remember Jesus says, Moses wrote about me even before Moses was Abraham, even before Abraham. And Jesus says, I am. <laughs> That's heavy. That's heavy. Look at verse 16, Colossians 1. For by him, this is Jesus, by him all things were created that are in heaven and 
that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Remember, both seen and unseen. You know, Jesus says before, you know, so he says before Abraham, I am straight up creation. We're in Genesis territory now. When Jesus says, you know, before Abraham, I mean, Abraham was in Genesis, but I mean, be like the early chapters of Genesis. Before Abraham, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> and you picture Hannah, oh, just <laughs> worshiping like it's nobody's business. And yet the religious leaders, the ones, air quotes, in the know, they wanted to kill him. And just as Colossians 1, chapter 1, verse 16, you see creation. Remember, both seen and unseen. This is where we get into doctrinal errors among certain individuals. I see it at high concentration among the Calvinists and Reformed. People say, well, you know, if God is loving, then why do we have tyrannical governments? If God is so loving, if all these things are preordained by the Lord, then why do we have tyrannical governments? My response, do you think they're without judgment? Well, if God is so loving, why does he allow rape? Does he allow rape? Are they without judgment? Oh, the police haven't caught him. The police haven't caught him. So he's he got away. I'm not talking about this life. I'm talking about the life to come. And these doctrinal errors which emanate from those without understanding. R.C. Sproul says, it's more loving if God didn't allow the unsaved to be born. R.C. Sproul Jr. says, God created sin. That's Calvinism. That's Reformed theory. It has been placed in the balance and found wanting. If you're Reformed, if you're Calvinist, I love you. Listen to our studies through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. And also listen to our study. It's called Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast because you'll hear a Calvinist teacher say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. God created sin? What? It's in accordance to a theory, but it remains only a theory. Turn to Isaiah chapter 14 really quick. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14 verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations, exclamation point. For you have said in your heart, in your heart, in your heart, even Lucifer had a choice. Even Lucifer had a choice. You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. That's it. You're done. Verse 15, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. 
even Lucifer had a choice to make. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. Lucifer made his choice. The Lord responded. Boom, that's it. You're done. You see? The Lord is reactionary, even among the angelic realm, such as with Lucifer. Lucifer made his choice. Verse 13, you have said in your heart, Lucifer had a choice. And God responded. You see? Okay, you're done. Now, Lucifer, Beelzebub, Satan, the devil, the serpent of old, the dragon, he knows where he's going. He knows he's going to burn in hell. And so you see this seduction, this trickery, seducing people. Remember the first question in the Bible? Did God really say? A little serpent in Genesis, a big dragon in Revelation. He's been growing. And yet you have this doctrine, oh, God created sin. You see, people have a choice. The angelic realm, they have a choice. Lucifer had a choice. And God responded. You, you have a choice. How is it that God will respond? You're a non-believer, you have a choice. Continue in unbelief or you believe in Jesus Christ. And if that's you, you listen, you hit pause, listen to our, our, our message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you know what? Remember, the Lord is reactionary. He will respond. How does he respond? Put on your seatbelt. And I tell you this from experience. Because as surely as he lives, he responds. And you'll know it. All these things which are effectuated through obedience. But the formula's got to be right. The strongholds of drugs, sex, alcohol, the whole nine yards. Little pipsqueaks to the power of the Lord, the Most High, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not just the God of Abraham, period. It's one of the tricks that Satan has for the last days, bringing the families of Abraham together, just as the Pope does, mother of harlots, potential. No. Somebody needs to get a, give the Pope a Bible. So he can read it and repent and become a Christian. To my Catholic friends, I love you. Catholicism is unbiblical. It is not biblical Christianity. I love you. But you repent and you come to Christ. The real Jesus. Not the fake one, not the lowercase c, of which the real Jesus says there will be many in the last days. The real Jesus whose word is above his name. Queen of heaven, there's judgment to the adherents of the queen of heaven. It is written. And yet you have R.C. Sproul Jr. God created sin. Look, you're predestined to hell. Rubbish. 
It's like a minefield. It's sad. It's sad. It's like a minefield. And you have, I mean, picture a group of kindergartners. One of the scariest things I've ever done in my life is patrol through a minefield. Intelligence says this area is, you know, laden with mines. That, <laughs> that, <laughs> that's no joke. <laughs> I laugh about it now, but, you know, it could have been good night. Uh, praise be to the Lord. He was gracious. That was scary business. Not so much for me. You know, I don't care. I mean, like even back then, I didn't, you know, I had a death wish back then, but more so for my friends, the guys I was with. I don't want them to die. But that was, <laughs> I mean, imagine like, I mean, you walk and, you know, each step, each little step could be like, say goodnight time, not just for you, but for the guys with you. And if there's any survivor, that's like, you know, painful surviving because that's like straight up wheelchair for the rest of your lifetime type of stuff. But how much more for the baby Christian? Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. So look, I'm going to go to this church over here. Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. Look, I'm a brand new believer. Praise be to the Lord. And I'm going to go to this church over here. Oh, the pastor says I can take the mark of the beast. Oh, the pastor says I got to go lay down on graves. Oh, the pastor says God is done with Israel. Oh, the pastor says that, you know, uh, name it and claim it. Oh, the pastor here teaches that, you know, I, I, I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to be rich. I should tithe unto him and then I'll be rich. It's like a minefield. You see? And yes, it is true. As is written here in verse 16, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. This is from Colossians 1. He says, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, remember, seen and unseen, which means things on earth and uh, things in the heavenly realm. Even the uh, the angelic, even uh, uh, among the fallen angels. Lucifer made his choice and God responded you see you say wait a second if that's the case then that's why these doctrinal errors come into play oh look god created sin no god responds to decisions you see god is reactionary the blueprints are laid out now balls in our court do I respond wickedly? Okay, God will respond. Do I respond righteously? Okay, God will respond. Oh, but I can't respond righteously because, you know, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the, the rock and roll. I can't respond righteously. Okay, the helper. He sends the helper who will help you. You see? All things were created through him. This is Jesus. And for him, this is Jesus. Remember Jesus among, in front of the Pharisees? That you're not even 50 years old and you're talking about Abraham like you guys are, you know, buds. I'm paraphrasing. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> I love that so much. It's like, whoa, that's like, whew. 
picture Hannah just like right like the the religious leaders the I'm doing my air quotes the religious leaders could have taken a lesson from Hannah you see in verse 17 and he is before all things he is before or he is above all things and in him or translates as by him all things consist or all things are held together you see that's how it translates now you might say, wait a second, if all things are held together, then why are things falling apart? Why are, why, why is the world in crazy town? Why is it that politically speaking, you know, things are a mess? Why is it that over here things are a mess? Why is it that over there things are a mess? Why is this happening? If you say that all things are held together by Jesus, why is it that all these things are falling apart? Now we get into prophecy. Signs of his coming. You see? Signs of his coming. And he is coming again. Things are not falling apart, my beautiful friend. My beautiful brother, my beautiful sister. Things are not falling apart. They're falling in place. In verse 18, And he is the head of the body, the church, Ecclesia who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. You see, speaking of the church, being the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that's born again. A believer in Jesus Christ, that's born again. That in all things, he, speaking of Jesus, may have the preeminence. You see, may have the superiority. It's not prominence. That Jesus may have the prominence, you know, like, you know, you have Buddha, you have, you know, the Krishnas, you have Mary, and then, you know, let's add Jesus to the mix. No, 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 no. That's prominence. It's to say you take Mary, you take Buddha, and you take, you know, the Krishna, you take this, you take that, and you throw them aside. Jesus. Jesus only. No one comes to the Father but through Him. I'm just the messenger. Those are His words. You see? Preeminence. Only Him. You say, wait a second. What, what do you mean, the preeminence? Well, understand what is happening in the supernatural realm. Even maybe right here, right now with you. Turn with me really quick to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, something that we refer to quite a bit and we're going to keep on referring to. In Luke chapter 8, verse 12, speaking in verse 11, the seed is the word of God. Now, if you're not a believer... This is what's happening in you right here, right now. If you're not, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, this is exactly what is happening to you right now. Knowing that the seed is the word of God. You say knowing, but maybe you don't know. Well, I say knowing because now you know. The seed is the word of God. In verse 12, those by the wayside. Now, don't take offense to that. If you're not a believer, don't take offense to that. It's the road. That's how it translates, the road. Whether it's the wayside, it could be. I pray it's not. I love you. 
If you're not a believer, you might even be atheist, agnostic. I don't care. You do not believe in Jesus. You might even be Buddhist. You don't believe in Jesus. You might even be, you know, worship Mary. You don't believe in Jesus Christ, the real Jesus. I don't, I, I don't, you know, whatever belief, you know, when I came to Christ, I had all kinds of different belief systems, all kinds of different vices, alcohol being number one. I don't care what you come to Christ with. But once you come to Christ, this is what is happening. You do not believe in Jesus Christ. This is what is happening right now in the supernatural realm. And verse 12, those by the wayside are the ones who hear the same way you're hearing right now. And the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. You see, how does he do that? Well, why is it that you doubt? I mean, this might be the first time you're hearing a message like this or hearing a sermon, it might be, but I venture to say that you've heard about Jesus Christ before. How is it that the devil, Satan, Lucifer, who made his choice, who knows he's going to burn in hell and wants to drag people with him, how is it that he takes the seed, that he takes the word out of hearts? It could be for multiple reasons. I mean, if you're not a believer, why have you doubted? Why do you doubt? Why is it that you don't believe in Jesus Christ? Could it be like a Mark 6 scenario where you apply intellect and logic, where you need to apply faith? Could it be? Remember, Jesus in Mark 6 had no power with those people. It wasn't because he was powerless. It because of, it was because of their doubt and unbelief. Now, I've, more and more atheists, more and more agnostics today do not believe in Jesus Christ because of what they see in the church, what they see among pastors, what they see among congregants, and they see hypocrisy. And I don't blame them. I don't blame the agnostic, the atheist. I don't blame the non-believer. If they don't believe because what they see in the church, I don't blame them. Because I see the church and I hate what I see. I don't like it. Who was there who would shut the doors? Straight up Malachi reference. Who was there who would shut the doors? What is coming out of churches today is straight up poison. It pains me to say that. I meant for a pastor to say, Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. For a pastor to teach, you know, God created sin. For a pastor to teach, you know, it would be better if God didn't create the, uh, 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 the, the unsaved because they're predestined for hell. It would be more loving for God to do that. I mean, have you ever talked with a non-believer about Calvinism? I mean, in that regard, I'm in agreement with them. Because the, the non-believer, even the Satanist, what? You call that a loving God? Why would he predestine people to hell? You call that love? And in that regard, I can agree. You see? No. It's not love. Their doctrine is crazy town. To the Satanists, I say, I'm talking about the real Jesus whose word is above his name. 
And I've had these conversations with Satanists before who, you know, they tell me, I've never heard it like this before. I've never heard it like this before. And I pray, if you're listening, and you know who you are, <laughs> if by chance you're listening, I tell you again, and even more so as before, I love you. Don't fight the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord goes into the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And yes, don't forget, the seed is the Word of God. But Satan, Lucifer, who made his choice? And the Lord responded, He comes and takes away the Word out of hearts. Why does he do that? Because remember, he wants to drag people to hell. The people who God loves, who God sent his son to die for. A people who God is rescuing. Satan wants to take these people and drag them to hell so they can burn with them. Why does he take the word out of their hearts? Lest they should believe. That's the answer here in verse 12. Lest they should believe and be saved. See? If you're not a believer, that's what's happening right here, right now in the supernatural realm. Why is it that you don't believe? Is it doubt? Is it your intellect? Is it your logic? Is it because of hypocrisy you see among Christians? Why is it? I mean, let's be straight up. Let's be straight up. Now that we understand what is happening from a, 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 a spiritual aspect, I've had people tell me, I've never heard the gospel presented that way. You might be wondering what way. (laughs) Cut it out. Cut it out. Be an unbeliever no more because God loves you. Satan doesn't want you to know that. God loves you. He made a way. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, which means you and me, we better abide in Jesus Christ. You're not a believer? Cut it out. Enter through the door. And the door today is open, but this door of grace will not be open forever. The church age is coming to a close. You see? You say, oh yeah, things are falling apart. Things are crazy. No, 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 no. Things are falling into place. The church age is coming to a close. You see? And you come to Christ. If you're not a believer, cut it out. You come to Christ. Commit your life to Christ. Hit pause. Listen to the message. Commit your life to Christ. You come back and you listen. We grow together. We grow. We mature together. Now let's go back to Colossians 1. And we see Colossians 1 understanding that the preeminence of Christ, not prominence, you know, Jesus Christ is, you know, one and the same with the Buddhists and the, you know, the uh, Buddha, the Krishna, the Mary. The, no, no, no. Pre- those are, throw them away. Jesus Christ. Preeminence. 
In verse 19, for it pleased the Father, this is Colossians 1, verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him, speaking of Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. You see? All the fullness should dwell. And fullness will come. Remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, remember our study through Romans chapter 11, verse 25, the fullness of the Gentiles. This door of grace is open today, but it will close. The church age will end, and it's coming soon. When that happens, like it's done. Noah, his family, the animals in the ark, and the Lord sealed the door. The door was closed. It's not... Noah, who reached out and closed the door. It's not an elephant with this trunk and then, you know, closed the door. No, the Lord closed the door. And then the rains came. Judgment. Destruction. You see? The same thing in the last days. The door is open. But the Lord will close the door. The fullness of the Gentiles. Just like, you know, if you're a gardener, you have tomatoes. You know, you have the fullness of, you know, you're a gardener and the fullness of tomatoes. But even that requires, you know, there's the gathering. You know, you gather some tomatoes and then, like, you know, some you have some defunct tomatoes. And what do you gather them? But you gather them not to eat. You gather them to throw away. You see? Same concept. The gathering, the threshing floor, the wheat and the tares. Everything aligns perfectly. In verse 20, and by him, speaking of Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself by him, Jesus. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, heaven, having made peace through the blood of of his cross. Remember, Old Testament, New Testament. How many times have you heard us say this in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy? The whole point is for people to be right with the Lord. People to be right with the Lord. You see? God is the same. I never change, saith the Lord. Different covenants, rules of engagement, so to speak. We have these understandings so that we can make these distinctions, not that we go back to the law. Listen to our study through Galatians. But that we understand that we abide in the fulfillment of the law, which is Christ. In verse 21. And you, remember, speaking to the, just like in in verse 2, the saints and faithful brethren, and you, who once were alienated and enemies. Remember, every single saint was an enemy of God at one point in his life, at one point in her life. Every single saint was an enemy of God, but a choice was made. Just like Lucifer made his choice, the Lord responded. 
People make their choice of wickedness, the Lord responds. People make their choice of righteousness in responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ in which, just like in verse 5, the truth of the gospel. And then all of a sudden in verse 6, we see it's bringing forth fruit. And then Paul prays that that they may be filled in verse 9 with the knowledge of his will, the wisdom and understanding, walk worthy of the Lord, fully fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power with for all patience and long-suffering with joy. He's like the gardener. Little water here, sprinkle over here, make sure the soil is good, nutrients over here. He's a worker. Paul's a worker. Timothy, little Timmy, worker. Chloe, worker. Priscilla, Aquila, workers. Just like we studied, it just so happens that we've studied this on our our Wednesday studies through the Old Testament and how the Lord says, remember that you were once in Egypt? Remember? You were once in Egypt. Therefore, you know, have compassion on the stranger. Have compassion on the widow. Have compassion on the orphan. Have compassion on these people. Because remember, you once were were an alien in Egypt. And we see the same thing here. As new covenant believers and you in verse 21. Who were once alienated and enemies in your mind. Whoa. In your mind? Yes, that's the battlefield. Remember our study just last week as we closed up Philippians? The mind is the battlefield. How are we enemies of the Lord? Well, he says here in verse 21, by wicked works. That's the old nature, the old man, the old woman whom we reckon dead. Buried are the works of the old man. Buried are the works of the old woman. And alive is the saint. You see? Carrying our crosses. Yet now he has reconciled. Fully, how that translates this reconciliation, how yet he, yet now he has reconciled to be fully separated and made different. You see, that's what happens when you reckon the old man dead, when you reckon the old woman dead. Have you ever listened to a testimony, the testimony of a brother or sister? You say, hey, brother, tell me why you're a Christian. Tell me, tell me your testimony. How did you become a Christian? Hey, sister, tell me your testimony. How did you become a Christian? And, you know, they talk for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And at the end of it, you're just like aghast. Like, what? Like, I thought you were going to say like Sunday school and, you know, you've been a Christian. I thought you were going to say that. But like, you were a straight up prostitute? What? You were a drug dealer? What? You were in prison? What? And you're just like, oh my goodness. It's the difference. The baptism of the Holy Spirit reveals a change. This guy is different. This gal is different. 
The baptism of the Holy Spirit reveals this. A guy was doing his sex. He's not doing his sex. A guy was doing his drugs. He's not doing his drugs. A guy was doing alcohol. He's not doing the alcohol. A guy was doing the Buddha. Not doing the Buddha. A guy, little white lies. Not doing the little white lies. A guy was doing a cult. Not doing the cult anymore. Because he's different. She's different. They've been born again. That's the old nature. Who he has reckoned dead. Who she has reckoned dead. There's a difference. There's a change. And that's what we see with this reconciliation is to be fully separated and made different. But what about when you don't see that? Which is common. What about when you don't see that? You see, a Christian doing his gambling Doing the strippers, doing the Buddha, doing the Mary, doing the Krishna, the little white lies, the occult, the Ouija board, you see it. That's leaven. And once it's identified that it's leaven, it could be like a brand new believer. That's one thing. That's, you know, okay, you know, put those things, lay aside those things that are so easily ensnared and let's move on. You're in preschool, let's go. We got to get the kindergarten. But somebody's been doing that for 20 years, you know, three years, three years, five years, 20 years. That's leaven. And once that leaven is identified, now a choice has to be made. And I speak to potential remnant. A choice has to be made. You're the one remnant that has to separate in obedience to the Lord. You're, I have these conversations with Christians all the time. Oh, I've been going to church my whole life in this church. And, you know, the pastor baptized my sons. He baptized my daughters. And I can't leave them. And, you know, he does the gambling, but I can't leave. Why? He does the strippers, but I can't leave. That's my church family. It's not a social club. Jesus Christ is head of the church. We worship him. And if the formula is wrong in that what is referred to as sanctuary, if the formula is wrong, then it ceases to be sanctuary. Biblically speaking, you might call it a sanctuary because, oh, look, you know, the designers, they call it the sanctuary and it's designed like this. Got the chairs over here, the pews over here, the pulpit over here, the band over here. They call it the band instead of the worship team. Oh, everything's set up and look at the speakers here and this and this. Look, it's the sanctuary. But if the formula isn't right, it is not a biblical sanctuary. It's a death trap. So sometimes people get mad at me. Oh, you say jump ship. How can you say that? Look, I've been going here. Once you understand and see that it's a death trap. And you hear me say jump ship. Perhaps we can be friends. Perhaps we can be brothers. Perhaps we can be brother and sister. (laughs) I almost said sisters. (laughs) Perhaps we can be brother and sister. Perhaps we can be brothers. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. I don't say these these things to hurt you. I love you. We have 
have to understand. Remember, we're in postgraduate studies here in Colossians chapter 1. Postgrad. And so we see that in verse 21, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind, yet, or, or by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. In verse 22, how is how does this reconciliation happen? In the body of his flesh. That's Jesus. In the body of his flesh through death. Remember? Our study in Galatians, how the law was added because of sin, because of trespass. The law was added until the seed, until the seed. Let's look at John chapter 12. Turn with me really quick to John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12. Verse 23, we see this. But Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. Remember our study in Galatians, the law was added until the seed. Understand that the seed must die. And the Lord is the one who's saying the fulfillment of the law is the one who's saying in verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain or much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Now, in these last days, there is a diaspora of the last days, which is very dangerous. It's why you hear us say from time to time to store your oil. Store your oil. Learn to make bread. These days are evil. And there is that diaspora of these last days, which I'll reserve comment on. Pastors, you better pastor. Pastors, noun. You better pastor, verb. The formula better be right. Better be right. And where I am, he says in verse 26, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now the seed, speaking of Jesus, which is the word of God, the word became flesh, just like we looked at in in, uh, 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 Luke 8. Verse 27, now my soul is troubled. Jesus knows he must die. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. 
Remember, just like we're studying it in Colossians, how it was pleasing to the Father, how the Father made in everything was in Him, by Him, and for Him through Jesus. In verse 28, a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, Verse 29, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. This hour had come for Jesus, for the seed to die. This is the followers of Christ jolted. The disciples jolted. Hardcore. Remember the men were scaredy cats? The beautiful women were right at the tomb. Hardcore, beautiful warrior women. The men were scaredy cats. But jolted nonetheless. How, remember our study through John 6? How thousands became hundreds, which became fewer hundreds, which became 12. Remember? ultimately became 11 and then zero. See? Alone. Just like verse 24. Unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Look at the the birth of the church with the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. And look how thousands and multitudes became Christians. You see? John 6 and Acts 2. John 6, thousands became hundreds, became 12, ultimately becomes 11 and then 0. Jesus is alone. The seed dies. And then what happens? What is planted? What the seed grows. Brings forth fruit. You get into Acts chapter 2. The power of the Holy Spirit, which some people say that's over and done with. The, the, the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way anymore, which is a lie from the pit of hell. You will not see an expiration date in the Bible. You'll see it in certain doctrines. You'll see it in certain lives too. But let the dead bury the dead. I speak to the living. In verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Because remember, in Christ, death has no sting. That is, That can only be said to the Christian. Death has no sting. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. You see? And remember, the seed dies, it sprouts. More prophecies. The root of Jesse, as prophesied. The root of Jesse. In verse 33, this he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people answered him, we have not heard this from the law. Or we we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. Remember, Jesus isn't his first name and Christ is his last name. No, Jesus, Jesus Christ is like Jesus the Messiah. So they're saying we have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. And 
How can you say? The Son of Man must be lifted up. Who is this Son of Man? Do you see how citing the law? In verse 34, we have heard from the law. You see how the law in itself is blinding. The law in itself is deafening. But remember, just like our studies through the Old Testament, that in the law and through the law, certain steps are gained, like certain doorways are opened, which is the fear of the Lord, learning to trust the Lord, learning to love the Lord, you see, but you must have ears. These people say, we have heard from the law. The law in itself has very deafening attributes. When there's ears, it points to Jesus Christ. Look at Nathaniel. You see? Worshipping the Lord. Everything in accordance to the law. And the fulfillment of the law. He has ears. And yet these people, who is this son of man? Not realizing they're speaking to the one they're questioning about. Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. You see, saints of the last days, our hour of testing is upon us. Our hour of testing is upon us. I teach from America too. Our hour of testing is upon us. It's already happening. But a million times worse in certain parts of the world where the cost of being a Christian is far worse, very deadly, very dangerous. The cost of being a pastor, very deadly. And it is possible for darkness to overtake believers. Remember, belief evokes a response, obedience. The baptism of the Holy Spirit by which all things are effectuated, the power. That's when we get into the dangers of... Doctrines have always been dangerous. False doctrines have always been dangerous. But even more so in these last days, as darkness is increasing and being amplified because Satan knows his time is short and understanding that darkness does have power, as we see in Colossians, but understanding that darkness does have the ability to overtake an individual because there's power in darkness. But when doctrine... False doctrine presents barriers to a person having that power, living in that power. They might believe in Jesus Christ. They might believe in Jesus Christ, but is there obedience to Jesus Christ? And they might believe in Jesus Christ, but is the Jesus the biblical one whose word is above his name? Or is there Christ the one that says, go ahead, take the mark of the beast? Is there Christ the one that says, let's go grape soaking? Is there Christ the one that says, God is done with Israel? Very deceptive days that we're living in. Is there Christ the one that says that uh, 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 people can go to heaven through being 
carnal heirs of Abraham. No. It's, it's, that's the beauty of sound doctrine, which there is simplicity. There is simplicity. But remember, if you're listening for the first time, understand that our study to Colossians 1, these are like post-grad studies. There's basics to it. The, the, the beauty of the basics, the uh, fundamentals, just like Michael Jordan is when we started. But in these fundamentals, we look at these correlating verses in understanding that, yes, the Lord is at work, but the blueprints must, everything must be right. He says, lest darkness overtake you, verse 35, he who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. There are Christians today who are walking in darkness. Why? Because some pastor has told him, some pastor has told her that the power, the works, and the moving of the Holy Spirit that you read in the book of Acts, that's done. That was for that dispensation. It is not for today. And by doing it and for a believer in Jesus Christ to listen to that pastor and uh, adhere and obey that pastor and apply, uh, uh, you know, how Hebrews says, you know, obey those who are uh, who are rulers over speaking of pastors, obey them because they watch out for your soul. The, the, the sister, the brother is applying that verse to the wrong individual. Unsuspectingly, she says, okay, so the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that anymore. So now I'm going to apply logic and intellect to this problem. Logic says, okay, I'm going to take these drugs. Okay, logic says I go to the doctor and the doctor is going to give me these prescriptions and I'll take these prescriptions. Intellect says, okay, then, you know, there's this problem over here. So therefore, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go over there. And logic says this and logic says that. You see what's happening? But for that brother, for that sister to understand, yes, I'm going to obey my pastor. But I got to find a pastor where the formula is right. And when you have that, obey them because they watch out for your... They're not begging for your money. They're not asking for your money. They want they want to present you as a chaste virgin to Jesus Christ. They're very few. Very, very, very few. And such Christians who do not have... Remember, for Paul to say, follow me as I follow Christ, it is safe. When the formula is wrong and a pastor for him to say, follow me as I follow Christ, that's another Christ. It's dangerous. How will the saint know? You got to be a Berean. And if you're not a Berean, if you're a baby and you stay a baby, if you don't move on to perfection, you're going to continue to walk in darkness when you should be walking in light. There is power in darkness, but you're going to be powerless. And I don't want that for you. When the formula is right, look at all the things that are effectuated in you. In, in you, The power, the baptism, and the power of the Holy Spirit. The ability, which is the helper, the paracletus, the helper, which will help you know where you are going. 
He says in verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe him. Oh my goodness. See, doubt, logic, intellect. Seemingly, quote unquote, religious people, because in verse 34, we have heard from the law. We have heard from the law that the Christ remains for, that the Messiah remains forever. So, you know, in one regard, you say, okay, through the law that they were awaiting the Messiah. But through the depths of logic and intellect. Although he had done so many signs before them in verse 37, they did not believe in him. That's sad. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? You see? Now the intellectual will say, wait a second. Isaiah the prophet was alone. Yet he says, who has believed our report? My response to the intellectual and the logical individual? Who's he next to? Who's with him? Who is he with? Lord, who has believed our reports? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39, therefore they could not believe because Isaiah said, again, now it said, therefore they could not believe. Now, this were this the Calvinists. The Calvinists, the Reformed theory people, they love this. You see, they can't believe, they can't believe, see? But remember Pharaoh? How many times did Pharaoh harden his heart? Pharaoh hardened his heart, 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 and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's what logic and intellect does. You don't see the jello. You don't see the maple, you don't see the oak. You see pine. You see, walking according to the flesh. You will not find jello in the logical and the intellectual. And that's what we want. That is the way of the uncircumcision. But the circumcision, beautiful, beautiful, soft jello. Oh, but you see, they can't believe. Verse 39, they can't believe. Therefore, Calvinist, Cal, John Calvin was right. No, John Calvin was wrong. Because Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then God hardened his heart. Verse 40, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. The Calvinists, you see, John Calvin was right. The Reformed theory, it's right. Wrong. How this translates, he has blinded their, he has blinded, blinded, blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Harden here translates as to petrify. To petrify. You see, their hearts are petrified. Their hearts are pet. Hold on. Hold the phone there, my friend. 
Petrification takes time. It takes time. The process for a piece of wood to turn petrified, it takes time. Such as with Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Okay. Petrification. God hardened his heart. It takes time. You see? We want jello. Soft as jello, the circumcision. That's what we want inside of our hearts. And for the sad, for the unbeliever, you know. Remember, eternity is written on our hearts. Ecclesiastes. Eternity is written on our hearts. A measure of faith is given to every individual. Romans. A person is born. There's this curiosity about, you know, have you ever talked to a non-believer and they say, well, you know, I believe that there's something out there, but I just don't know what. Because eternity is written on our hearts. A measure of faith is given to everybody. But where are the teachers? Where are the teachers? Where are the pastors? Where are the evangelists? Where are those to say, listen, this curiosity you have, you wonder about, you believe that there's something out there, you call it the universe, but the universe was created. The universe is created. The universe has a creator. And he designed this. This is why you wonder about these things. Because God loves you. God so loves the world. And so hearts can go from pine to oak to maple to balsa and nice soft jello. But a decision has to be made in said individual repentance for them to come to Christ. Now, understand too that pine can turn to stone. We don't want that. That's bad. Even though it's happening, it will continue to happen and it breaks my heart. But that petrification takes time. And God is reactionary. It's in response to a person's choice. Remember Romans 1? Although they knew God, they were not thankful. Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him, nor were they thankful. Therefore, God also gave them up. Also, also, also gave them up. Which means they gave up on God. Petrification. God's wrath on individuals. It breaks my heart. But yet it is written. We have to understand the game plan. Understand the blueprints. So that we can navigate accordingly. In verse 40, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Lest they should see with their eyes. Lest they should understand with their hearts. And turn so that I should heal them. Remember, healing. People say, oh, the healing, you know, God doesn't work that way anymore. That that was for Acts and that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Why? Where do you get that from? Oh, my pastor told me. Look, I read this book, New York Times bestseller. That's nice. What does the Bible say? Oh, my pastor, he got a doctorate in theology. That's nice. 
What does the Bible say? And I tell you from experience, there is healing in Jesus. The real Jesus. There is healing. See, yes, these strongholds, Satan has power. There, he has these strongholds and there is power in darkness. There's nothing more powerful than the Lord. You see, the formula's got to be right. The fake Jesus, you won't have power in the fake Jesus. The real Jesus, put on your seatbelt. You see? Let's go back to Colossians. Colossians 1. In verse 22. In the body of his flesh, through death, to present you. To present you. It translates as to stand beside you. To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. You see? I mean, have you ever been the guest of like, have you ever been like a VIP guest where like, you know, there's no way you could gain entrance into whatever place except, you know, the VIP says, hey, this guy's with me. Hey, this gal's with me. She's with me. He's with me. One time I was a guest in a, uh, uh, it was uh, 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 a country club that the annual fee to get inside was $250,000. Keep out the riffraff. The celebrities, you know, it's their clubs. You know, it keeps out the riffraff. Very private. And I was a guest. There was no way I could ever, ever, ever be there. But I was a guest. You know, where, you know, I'm with this guy. This guy's with me, you know. I could be. It's. Similar, very similar. To present, to stand beside you. Everybody's going to stand before the Lord. Jesus Christ, he's with me. She's with me. Holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. You see? That's what I want every single listener to hear. He's with me. She's with me. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what in my heart of hearts, I desire all of you to hear that from the Lord himself. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I love this so much because we're in this postgraduate studies through Colossians or uh, 6th Corinthians, if you will. And in verse 23, if, a word of conditionality, if indeed you continue or remain in the faith. Remember, remember, once saved, always saved is unbiblical. Once saved, always saved is unbiblical. We turn to Luke 8 again. You know, I, I say it all the time and we're going to say it again. Turn to Luke chapter 8. So in Luke chapter 8, we looked at verse 12 already, what Satan does. But then look what happens in verse 13. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. So they receive the word. And these have no root. So they receive the word. And notice, who believe for a while. So they believe in Jesus Christ. You figure, okay, once saved, always saved. But hold the phone. Who believe for a while. It's not once saved, always saved. Because they only believe for a while. 
Notice what happens. And in time of temptation, fall away. See? Once saved, always saved is unbiblical. The biblical formula is once saved, stay saved. That's the biblical formula. What does that look like? Well, going back to Colossians chapter 1, in Colossians 1 says, If indeed, speaking to saints, speaking to, in verse 2, saints and faithful brethren. Verse 23 says, if indeed you continue. Remember, it's not once saved, always saved. It's once saved, stay saved. How do we stay saved? Well, we abide in Christ. But it is written here in verse 23, you continue or remain in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away. Not how it translates is not, not removed. You see? Remember? Remember the example we gave several studies ago with baby girl? Baby girl's nice and safe in the house, nice and safe, and you say, baby girl, I go to prepare a place for you. I'll be right back. You go to prepare a place, you come back, baby girl's gone. Did you lose baby girl? No, baby girl walked away. You did not lose baby girl, baby girl walked away. It's very important because it is true that the Lord will not lose his sheep. Very true. But it is also written, sheep can walk away. Sheep can fall away. You see? Oh, you didn't, you didn't choose me. I chose you, the Calvinist, the Reformed. You didn't choose me. I chose you, Eklegomai. Don't forget Jesus Christ. He says, I have chosen, Eklegomai. I have chosen you 12, and one of you is a devil. You see? Oh, but that was written so that scripture can be fulfilled. Absolutely. What other scriptures can be fulfilled? In you. In us. The good ones or the bad ones? You choose. Ball's in your court. You see? If you're Calvinist Reformed, listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. You'll understand. And come out of her, my people. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ, the biblical Jesus. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard. You heard. Notice, past tense. They heard it before. Which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is Paul's calling. In closing, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. <laughs> You see the sufferings we see. If you remember our study in the book of Acts, you see the sufferings of Paul, the steps of his feet, the work of his hands. You see it. And he says here, he reveals in these post-grad studies, he reveals it's for you. Now I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Now, notice, fill up here is to supplement in my flesh what is lacking. It's the deficit in the afflictions of Christ. I mean, somebody might have an iron deficiency. What do you do? You take iron supplements to to fill that deficit. And that's what Paul says happens through his afflictions. To fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of the body. 
which is the church. For the sake of the body. Pastors, I have a message for you. Pastors, suffering, affliction, persecution, tribulation, all these things are supplements to your lack. What is lacking? All these things are supplements. Yes, for Christ, but for the sake of the church, for the sake of the saints. You see? Now you understand, if you're a pastor, now you understand why Brother James says, let not many be teachers. It's hardcore. Feed your flock. It's not your flock. I say your flock because you're, you're caring for them. Tend the sheep. Feed the flock of God. Protect them. The wolf comes, kill the wolf, metaphysically speaking. And die for them. Verse 25, of which, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, God the Father, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, which was given to me for you. Remember verse 7? In verse 7 about Epaphras? Our dear fellow servant in verse 7, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Paul says the same of himself. This stewardship from God the Father, which was given to me for you. And pastors today say, well, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, then, you know, you'll tie an extra hundred bucks. If you want to be a part of this ministry and what the Lord is doing, you'll tie a little, little extra. Here, we're going to pass around the offering plate again. I know we did it already, but we're going to pass around the plate again. And if you want to be a part of... Hold the phone there, Pastor. It's the other way around. You know what the Lord is doing, Pastor? Look at the saints. It's not if they want to be a part of you, pastor. Because what the Lord is doing is them. The saints. They need to be fed. They need to be poured into. They need to feed on holy seed. They need to be protected. They need to be equipped. No guilt trip, pastor. Oh, if you want to be a part of what the Lord is doing, then you'll tithe an extra hundred bucks. And if you tithe a thousand, then we'll put this plaque on the bench for you. We'll, we'll put this stone that has your name on it. And we'll put this stone here, a cornerstone. We'll do this for you so that, look, this is going to be good. And yes, and it's pleasing in the Lord's eyes. No, 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 no. If that's you, pastor, step down. Repent and step down. You've been placed in the balance and found wanting. Because what God is doing, it's in the saints. Epaphras, a faithful servant, a fellow servant and faithful minister for the saints, for the people. You see? 
Paul. He says in verse 25, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God the Father, which was given to me for you, the saints. You see? Now, if you're a pew Christian, you're not a worker, you're God's building. Remember, we make these distinctions. Listen to our study from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is a warning sign. If you're in a church and the pastor says that, if you want to be a part of what the God, what God is doing, then you'll do this, you'll do that. Little guilt trip. Compulsion of man. That's a warning sign. Because you, my brother, you, my sister, you're the Lord's business. The minister serves you. The pastor serves you. Yes, it's service unto the Lord. But it's service unto the people so that the whole point is for people to be right with God. Just like the Old Testament. Abodah, abodah, mishkan. That's the formula. These are the blueprints. I'm just the messenger. This is the blueprint. Oh, you're a pastor. Oh, what do I... You hurt my feelings. I don't like this. How dare you see this? Oh, how dare! Look, you shall not. You shall not come against the Lord's appointed. You shall not come. You know we're appointed of the Lord, or the anointed. You know you shouldn't say these things against the Lord's anointed. I don't see anointing. Biblically speaking, you want to do your false doctrine. You want to teach this. You want to teach. You want to say take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You want to go grave soaking. You want to do the glitter. You want to teach replacement theology. With your coalition? I don't see anointing. But I see Satan. I see your master. See? In verse 26, we continue in closing. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Now, if you're a young believer, brand new believer, say you're a fresh believer, you just became a Christian today, I love you. I loved you before, but I love you even now because now you're my brother and now you're my sister. You might even be, let's be straight up, you might even be preschool. I I love you. You might be first grade, third grade. You might be university. I love you. But there is simplicity in Christ. But there is also mystery. I mean, you're a new believer. You're a preschool. You're first grade. It's You don't yet understand. You don't understand yet that this is how the puzzle pieces work. This is how it forms together. This is how, you know, here, 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 everything comes together like this. You don't, do not yet have that understanding. And there are certain aspects of scripture which are a mystery. But when you're a Berean, you read the scriptures, you study the scriptures, which are spiritually discerned. Remember, the mystery becomes revealed, as in verse 26, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them, God willed, translates as God determined, God determines and delights 
This is the opposite of petrification. So you look at a piece of wood. Now that piece of wood could go one direction and be petrified, or this piece of wood could go the other direction and turn into jello. Now, what we looked at in, in, in John 12, what we looked at there, that's petrification. Not good. But what we're looking at here, jello, that's beautiful. And that's what we see here. To them, God willed or delights. It's with when a person, the process of petrification, but the process of holiness, which also takes time, learning and growing and maturing. And in all stages, preschool, kindergarten, first grade, on up to post-grad studies in all levels, humble before the Lord, meek before the Lord. See, the meek shall inherit the earth. And to them, God willed or delights to make known what are the... This is where Calvinists go crazy because they say to him, God willed. Oh, you see, God's will. To them, God delights to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, you see. But this door unto the Gentiles, it's not going to be open forever. The church age is drawing to its end. The fullness of the Gentiles. And then you listen to our study through Romans 11. And then you see, whoa, there's something happening in Israel. And it's happening already. You see Christians, Jews, becoming Christians at a rate that has never been seen before in this day. In Israel. Not just in Israel, but Jews. Where Jews have become Christians before in the past, Messianic Jews. But it has never been at a level that we're seeing today. And it's like a a transfer where you see the fullness of the Gentiles. And all of a sudden what's happening in Israel is their blinding is no more. It's happening. Listen to our study through Romans 11. You'll understand. In verse 28, or in verse 27, to him, to them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ, which is Christ in you, the Messiah in you. The hope of glory translates as the confidence of glory. See, there's certain, to have confidence, you know, You hear us say that our identity is in Christ and absolutely true. But with obedience to the word, to the word and obedience and yielding to the word and yielding to the spirit, which leads in the word and yielding to him, there's a certain confidence with circumcision, male, female, I don't care. And there's beauty in that. There's still warning in verse 23, if indeed you continue in in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away. There's still warning. And praise the Lord for the warning. But when the formula is right in you, there is this confidence of glory, what we see in verse 27, the hope of glory, which translates as the confidence of glory, as you and me, as we move on to perfection. You see? The glorified body. 
Verse 28. Him we preach. Him we preach. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Notice these three things. There's warning and teaching and wisdom. These are three things that you want in a pastor. If you're, if you, you know, I have these conversations with Christians. They have their home fellowships or, you know, they, they, they cannot be in a church anymore because the church has gone crazy. That's a sign of the times. Judgment comes first to the church. And so they leave the church and it's Sunday morning. It's Wednesday night. It's Thursday night. It's whatever night there's fellowship and you're at home. There's even that is prophetic, which we'll study when we get into our prophetical studies. Even that is prophetic and it is safe. These are things that you want to look for in a pastor and in a teacher. You want to see, yes, teaching, but you also want to see the warnings. People say, oh, I want to go to church and feel good about myself. And I've had these conversations with people. Where they're the ones that tell me, oh, I want to come to church and feel good about myself. You will not feel good about it. The more carnal you are, you will not feel good about yourself because that's the Holy Spirit. But the less carnal you are and the more spiritual you are and, you know, in accordance to the word, you are, you're going to fit. The, there's hope in glory. There's confidence in glory. You're going to feel like, like you can walk on air. You're going to feel it. We don't chase after feeling, but you're going to feel it. Your closeness, your proximity to Christ is cheek to cheek. Remember we studied that several weeks ago? Cheek to cheek. Abiding in Christ. You're going to have that. And there's a joy that surpasses all understanding. But yet, the teacher teaches, but it's not without warning. Why? It's like the brakes. You know, hit the brakes. In this situation, hit the brakes. In this situation, hit the gas. In this situation, slow down. In this situation, accelerate. In this situation, straight up come to a complete stop. And so you need the brakes. You see? Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Why? In verse 28, that we may present every man. This also is stand beside every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And that's what pastors do. That's what the workers do unto the flock. It's not a pastor saying, well, you know, saints, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, then you'll tithe a little extra. If you want to be a part of what God is doing, then you'll join in this effort to build this church on the waterfront. No, that's compulsion of man. It's the other way around for the pastor. Because what God is doing is among the saints. It's for the pastor to come to the saints. And teach and warn in all wisdom. Why? So that the pastor can stand beside or present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. You see? Just like Paul says that I may present you a chaste virgin unto Christ. This is holy. This is holy. This is the formula. The preeminence of Christ. Not just to, you know, so we can have a good day. No, there's a point behind it all. 
paradise, oneness with him. We have to have these understandings. Paul says in verse 29, in closing, to this end, I also labor. Translate says, work hard and to be fatigued. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which is like energy and strength, according to his working, which works or is active or effectual in me mightily or powerfully. Is Paul boasting? No way. He's not boasting at all. But remember, this book of Colossians is almost like a quasi-six Corinthians. Postgraduate studies. This is, you have this understanding and you apply these things in your life. This is like pastor material. Now, if you're listening for the first time, yes, apply these things in your life. But go back to 1 Corinthians and apply those things. <laughs> And understand, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. This is like straight up pastor material. And in very short order, we'll look at the pastoral epistles. It's not Paul standing, you know, like, oh, look how awesome I am and saying, oh, look, the Lord works in me mightily. But we've studied the book of Acts. We've seen that the Lord is doing mighty works in Paul and through Paul. We've seen it. It's not to deify Paul, it's to exalt and uh, rejoice and praise Christ in Paul, the Lord's handiwork. Paul says of himself, I'm a dead guy. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You see? And these understandings as postgraduates, if you're not there yet, you'll get there. I love you. You'll get there. Walk with us through 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and you'll understand. Let us move on to perfection, laying aside those things which so easily ensnare us, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And I speak of witnesses from the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament. Beautiful Hannah, an example. Beautiful Samuel, an example. Joshua, example. Moses, example. You see? All these beautiful people were surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Even Rahab, former prostitute, beautiful example. You see, we're going to end our study here. Lord willing, pick up in chapter two next week to the beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.